Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have another special podcast today with the number two all-time money earner in online tournament caches, Mr. Brian Paris, known as B. Paris. Brian, how are you? Great. How are you, Jeff? Doing well, man. Crazy times, but again, for for <laughs> poker, for us, it's uh, if anything at the at the moment, it's it's beefed up, right? The the oh, yeah. are up, actions up, traffic's up. So I think day to day for us, if anything, it's uh, it, I don't want to say it's good. It's it's just it's it's not like it's uh, we we aren't too affected by it. If anything, right. maybe it's it's better. So tell me tell me about we have a lot to talk about. First of all, congrats on that score last weekend in the party Thanks, poker million for 171,000. And I mean, how many entrants? I don't know. It's a $200, 215, some crazy amount of, uh, it covered the, uh, guarantee. So it had to be at least 5,000. So yeah. Some, somewhere five, north of five Five or 6,000. I think it did get well, well over. Actually, it was a big one. That was a Matt. Steele yeah. It was a big one. Mount table. Yo viral. So three streamers made the final five in a basically 6,000 person field, essentially, which is just insane. And you ended up making a deal and chopping uh, heads up. Could you, uh, Talk to me about that. How did you, how, your day one, how many chips did you have? You start with a million. Uh, how many chips did you have when you went into the final day, day two? So I was playing flights all week. Uh, what I what I do a lot for the party million is I try to play like the $22 phases into the flights to try to get in a little cheaper. But then as the week goes on, I'll just start direct firing the 215s because I always want to make sure that I, uh, you know, make make a stack in it. So I actually, I think I won the very last flight on Sunday, like at the beginning of the session. And it just sort of shot me right into the million. And I, I, I think I had six or seven million. I didn't have a ton. I had, you know, a, a decent stack. I, I was I was well positioned to cash at least, but I wasn't like, you know, monster stack after day one or anything. So tell me, how does, because, uh, you know, we, we I play the same. I'm playing, trying to get a stack. I play that tournament. I've had some good stacks. I've gotten up to like 25, 30 million in there. Played some big flips and, and just hasn't panned out. Matt Staples, I think, got 12, like, final two tables the week before, two weeks before, and then he ended up breaking through and getting a stack there. Tell me what that's like when you're grinding so many other tournaments. You know, it's just another tournament, right? It's a $200, a million, it's a big purse one, but it's a huge entry field, not too much expectations, I imagine, right? 6,000. No, no, definitely. When I play on Sunday, I have a lot of tables, right? I just have a ton of tables all across. It's like 20 tables. I have three monitors. I'll got like six, six, seven tables or whatever. And uh, I usually have everything in big blinds. So I actually don't know how well I'm doing in the tournament until a little bit deeper. Um, because you know, it's, it's all in big blinds. So I, I, at some point in the session, I just kind of clicked over and I was like, wow, I have like 185 million in this thing. How did that happen? Yeah. And then, and then, uh, you know, I wasn't paying that close of attention to it, but as the session goes on and on, your tables dwindle and stuff. And, uh, once we got down to like, I don't know, 50 or less, I was pretty heavily focused on it. Uh, I didn't actually stream it until we were down to 11 because I was very tired by the end of the Sunday. But so you, um, weren't, you weren't streaming that that day. You just didn't. I wasn't streaming. I, I don't generally stream on Sundays because there's two reasons. One is that the the competition in the directory is fierce on Sundays, and the other is that I just have so many tables, and it's it's like very mentally taxing to try and stream and have a bunch of tables on a Sunday. Really interesting. So you go live. You you end up you're down to one table at that point, or a few. I was down to one table. I was or no, I had two tables actually. I was still in the stars. Uh, 500 knockout. I think there was like 70 people left in that or something, and I, I wound up. Uh, I don't know if I punted it. I, I I took a spot that was like semi close for bounties and ran ace jack suited into queens for like chip leader pot with seventy left in that. But I barely showed it. I didn't even mention it. I just like showed the bust out hand real quick and then went right back to the million. Um, so I started with two of two. I was second of eleven when I started this stream, 
And for a little bit of background info, there's this 215 phase tournament on stars. And uh, I finished 10th in it literally back to back times. It's only like once every four or six months, right? right? For Scoop, they have the 215 phase. For the W Cube, they have the 215 phase. I yeah. finished 10th in that tournament, exactly 10th, back to back times, six months apart. So, like on stream, I have a very long history of getting 10th in these like huge field, you know, 100, 100K plus the top tournaments. Yeah. Um, so, I was two of 11 when I started the stream, and uh, I lost three consecutive all ins to short stacks. At one point, I was eight of nine, and then I was like nine of nine. And you can just see my reaction as the stream goes on. I'm just, I just get like sicker and sicker, you know, just thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to get ninth again. This is like so soul crushing. But then at some point I broke through and, you know, once we got down to the final table of like six, seven, I started to relax a lot because at that point I've broken through the 10th barrier, you know, and from there it's just like, whatever happens, happens. So I was quite short for a lot of the final table. And then at some point I uh, retook a decent stack. I became two out of five and I maintained second place until we got to heads up and then chopped it. And, and you it's it's just pretty amazing because I'm looking here too. My my dad sends me notes every uh, for the podcast, and I'm looking over and I oh, see. Nice. Uh, and this is maybe not current because I think you have much more. But I remember no, that's, that's that's when I first uh, cracked the 10 million mark. I think I'm I might still be top 10 earnings now, but I'm not uh, I'm not second anymore. But so and it was a race. It was pretty close. This guy Poker Kaiser was right there. So obviously these guys probably yeah, pocket zeros is quite close. Yeah. So but you actually were the second ever to cross over the 10 million earnings mark. And at that point, your biggest live cash or biggest online cash was 111 K. Uh, yeah. Was that was that still the case until this 171 then? Or- yeah, I've had, I've had a lot of caches for around 100. Uh, I have not had anything over 110 or thereabouts until just last week pretty pretty crazy so i mean out of, out of being streaming or playing poker for so long that that literally was your your biggest score and i mean yeah, to, have, to have that many to have 10 million plus in earnings and not have one above 111 just shows the the consistency and the volume that you put in uh, what is uh what does that mean for you in terms of do you think do you attribute that your volume are you like you're literally playing how many tables like what's like an average grind for you on a, on a day when you're just not say you're not streaming on twitch but you're just gonna fire and play a session i'm a bit of a volume addict uh especially like i don't know maybe like 20 so okay i gotta get this straight you're you're actually live you're playing poker with 20 multi-table turns are you playing six maxes or was that only eight or nine max like what you eight or nine there's there's probably a couple sixes thrown in there and how do you feel like if you're let's just say your poker ability is a hundred, let's just call it when you're playing one. Like if you played one table of the party million uh, each week, let's just say you did that. Or let's say you play 20. How, if you're a hundred at one table, being able to, you know, utilize your skill set and play basically perfectly and, and just focus, not miss a thing. You know, you know, every spot, how, where, where is your game at when you're 20 tabling? What is your ability? Like how much do you sacrifice by playing that volume? That's a really good question. Um, it's hard to quantify. There's definitely some amount, right? Like there's no way that you're seeing everything when you're playing 20 tables. Um, but I do feel pretty on top of it most of the time. Uh, so I guess maybe like an 80. And then and then as you get further in the... So the idea is at the start of the session, you sort of just plant a bunch of seeds and then some of them start growing. And then as the session gets further and further down, you can focus on the on the ones that are growing. And then at that point, you can you know give it your 100 game. But um, I think most of the time I do a pretty good job of staying on top of stuff. The hard part is adding in like hypers or anything with like short time banks because, uh, you know, you need your time banks, right? Yeah. If you're playing 20 tables, you're going to need time banks. So like if, if you're on anything with like short time banks, you keep timing out. That's going to be a big problem. So I try to cut out stuff like that. But uh, I'd, I'd say I do a pretty good job keeping on top of it most of the time. And, and do you how many different sites are you playing on? Is that complicated? I guess there's time breaks, but is that basically is there any issue? Do you do you play in three, four, five sites? What what type of volume distribution do you give to the different sites? I think it's 
five right now, four or five. Um, I'd say it kind of depends on what promotions are going on. Cause sometimes I'll like cycle between sites, you know, cause it's, it's hard to always play all five. Right. So if like a couple sites are having a series and the other sites aren't, I'll, I'll maybe cut the sites that aren't dirt for the duration of the series. Like right now I'm not really playing on stars.es because uh, scoops going on on stars.com and uh, you know, there's a GG series and everything. So there's really not a lot of extra volume to be had, but in, in times where there's no series or whatever, I can, I can get up to five sites to get my volume fix in. And it's not that difficult to be a, like most of the sites have pretty similar interfaces. Uh, it's nice that they all display in big blinds now because mm-hmm. I've gotten very used to that. So I've actually been cutting 888 lately because they don't display in big blinds yet without, you know, getting the 888 helper software or whatever. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it can be kind of a hassle to like move money around all the time. If you're doing bad on one site, you got to keep moving money back between the sites you're doing well on or whatever, but it's, it's nice to have the selection. And what do you rank the, in terms of value, what what do you think is the the current state? Like, what what are the for the for the the ones you're playing? What are you playing mostly two hundred plus, or what's your volume of of breakdown um, lines? I'm uh, my ABI is only like it's probably under a hundred, like eighty. So you, so you I, I am adding in more high buy-ins now that the series are going on. But before the series, I think my ABI for like all of last year was somewhere around eighty. So this year it's probably creeping up a little over a hundred with all these big series and stuff, but. Uh, I'm, I'm not playing like I'm not really focused on high stakes. I'm more of a mid stakes focus and I'll just take like good shots at the high stakes phase tournaments or whatever. Right. So like, but for example, at 3,200 WPTM party, I mean, th- those are like five mil guarantee. Those are, mu- those are must plays I would imagine. Or oh yeah. Those are great. Yeah. The, yeah. The, all the stuff on part of the 500, uh, two day thing. That was really cool. I played a lot of flights of that. Um, a lot of the party stuff is getting really good. Like, and they have really good satellites too. So I've been trying to satellite into a lot of the bigger WPT events. Yeah, because I do think they're going to be tougher than the live ones, right? Because you get all of the online pros in the world can play them, whereas a live tournament is sort of inherently gated by the need to travel to it. Like you'll still get a lot of good pros who go, but like when they start hosting them online, every good pro can just fire it. So it, it does make the fields a little tougher, but you know the, everything's so big right now, and the satellites are such good value that it's definitely worth uh, trying for those anyway. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting. I, I didn't I didn't realize that, but it makes sense. So you're you're playing, you know, fifty to a hundred, one maybe some two fifteens, and then throwing the the bigger ones. Uh, and and when you Twitch stream, which you know we can see here was uh, from lat May third when you did actually get heads up and make that deal, um, where you can see that you guys locked up, just narrowed it a bit, and and did the deal. So you got one seventy one and change. Uh, what when you actually are streaming on Twitch, what do you think that equates to in tables? So if you're 20 tabling and streaming, that would be almost impossible. I imagine like, yeah, it's very hard to do with all the tables. I think like once you get down to 10 or so, it's pretty easy to start streaming. Um, so, so yeah, like how many tables do you equate? Like if you had to say that Twitch is actually worth tables, how many would like six, maybe five or six. So yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on how much attention you want to pay to it too. Right. Cause if you want to just focus on poker, you can just kind of ignore chat for a bit. But if you're trying to like actually be a good streamer, be interactive and respond to stuff, I'd say it's it's like six or seven tables worth of uh, attention. Wow. So yeah. So I, I think that's also important too. Are you do you let the t- you got you can I mean some people sometimes I even take phone calls and I'm streaming. It's just basically if people want to see the action, it's like one or the other. If you tell them, hey, you know, I'm I'm in the matrix. Like just sorry, but I hear you can watch what's going on. I think that's one thing. But right. like you said, to try to can't really answer all the questions and, and think about questions and then be playing and and do all that. But I, I think that's about right. Six tables. That that is uh that is that seems like a good equation. What is the, when did you get into Twitch exactly? And what got you into streaming on Twitch? Um, I got into Twitch in mid 2016, uh, right, right before the birth of my first son. It was, that was part of it. I wanted to sort of like diversify my income streams a bit, you know, and sort of branch into other forms of poker business. 
And, uh, you know, I, I always thought that Twitch was, would be a fun thing to do. I'd always just kind of watched like Jay Carver a little bit back in the day. And, uh, I didn't really know much about it, but one, one weekend I just decided to start trying it. And, you know, I, I immediately hit like two, 300 viewers. So I was like, wow, this, I mean, this is something I could actually launch off of. And, uh, you know, the stream grew very quickly and it, it was, it was a hit pretty much immediately. So it was, it was easy for me to, uh, want to stick with it from that point. It's a lot harder if you start off small and you have to really work to grow it up, I think. Yeah, that's, yeah, not, that's, I would say that's accurate. And you, so you have, I mean, you have a big following on Twitch. You do some stuff you, you promote, I believe it's upswing and you do some other deals. What, what did, what would you say you do coaching as well? Or are you part of, or what, what is your breakdown with, in terms of your poker yeah, pie? Are you in terms of streaming, um, studying, coaching, how do you break up your poker routine like in a week, in a given week, like a normal week? Um, so I'd say I've been cutting back on streaming a little bit lately, like this year, because having two kids just makes it harder. You know, like I'm with the kids all day. So when I start playing, it'll be like 7 p.m. Um, and so I'll be kind of tired like, even before I start. So it's it's hard to want to stream the whole session, you know. So what I've been doing lately is just trying to get stacks and I'll stream the deep runs like with the million. Um, so I guess I would I'm, I'm playing a lot right now because of scoops. So I guess I'm playing like 40, 50 hours, maybe more. I'm studying a little bit during the day. I try to use DTO when I'm watching the kids, you know, so I can, I can get a few hands in. So I'm studying maybe like 10 hours a week. And then I do coaching. Uh, I get coaching one hour a week generally, and then I'll do coaching for other people, maybe like three to five hours a week. And what, what's your, how do you, how do you structure your coaching? Is it one-on-ones? Do you do groups? Yeah. One-on-one. Yeah. And, and I get, I get lessons from BBZ one-on-one and he's, he's probably the best poker coach in the world that I've ever come across anyway. Uh, he's, he's actually a recent party signing, right? They yeah, party signed yeah, him. Yeah. Excellent, excellent player. Very, probably one of the smartest people I've ever talked to, honestly. Um, so I get coaching from him. He's very, uh, highly, highly recommend. Uh, not cheap though. And, uh, and then I give coaching uh, just one-on-one sessions with like hand history reviews. What I tend to do is I look at people's databases and I'll look at all of their overall stats, you know, fold to see bet, steal percent, uh, re-steal percent, all that stuff. And we kind of see where they're deviating the most and then delve into that spot a little bit more deeply. So what, what is, uh, give me, what is, if someone reached out to you right now and they say, Hey, Brian, I want to, I would like your coaching. What is, what is a typical rate or a sort of a deal for you look like? Uh, I, my base, I charge a hundred an hour base rate, but for regular customers, I'll go down to 75 and then, uh, yeah, we'll just do like an hour at a time, usually sky over Skype, uh, just like reviewing databases. Or if you want to review a particular hand history, we can do that or, you know, just like whatever you want to do. But I, I tend to start with database review and then kind of go from there. Interesting. Very interesting. And what, what is some of the things you find with coaching others? Like, so let's just take like a, you know, people like to say bad reg, average reg, like say someone that's really in there playing a lot, just doesn't seem to break through breaking even or even losing small. What is sort of like one of the bigger findings here? What, what are spots where you're looking? Is it, is it people's play out of the blinds? Is it they're, they're not jamming on certain stack size opens they're, they're flat. Like what are some typical big mistakes you see of, uh, of players? Like a, a, the biggest a, mistakes are probably just the, like what you said out of the blinds, like the, the hardest parts in Hold'em are when both ranges are wide and weak because like early position versus early position spots tend to be fairly straightforward. You both have a pretty strong range. You know, you're both going to connect on the high boards and not so much on the low boards. It's not like that difficult, but the, the blind versus blind spots, the button versus blind spots, stuff like that. I guess the most common mistake is just like overfolding the flop to C bets because, uh, you know, when someone C bets a third of the pot, you're only supposed to be folding the bottom 25 to 33% of your range in a lot of these spots. And it's very, very difficult to reach that level without adding in all these weird backdoors and stuff. So that's, that's a good place to start is just looking at your uh, fold flop to C bet and then like like not stealing enough, not defending and steals enough. All that stuff is, is usually where I start looking. 
So like if a button if a button opens and you defend ace five off and it comes like king three two or, or king six deuce or something and guys see bets people are just folding when really they probably have the best hand or they should just be peeing right stuff like that. yeah stuff like that it's or you know you have like eight nine suited on king seven two and the seven is of your suit or something like that I mean that hand is not it's nine high but like if you're folding that hand to a small c bet you're just letting your opponent run over you so it's it's very important to learn how to defend against small c bets with hands like that whether it's with floats or check raises. Right. Interesting. Okay. And uh, which do you find more? If, if, if you could, in theory, your EV, if you're playing versus making coaching or doing whatever, what what is your preference uh, in poker? Is it, is it the most fun when you, when you play, when you stream, when you do coaching, what do you enjoy the most? I like uh, playing the most for sure. Um, streaming is very fun when you have a deep run. It's not like streaming can be a grind too. If you're just streaming like the middle of your session, I mean, it's still fun. You know, you got your chat, you got your people watching you. It's awesome to have people interested in what you're doing who want to come watch, you know, but it's at its most fun when you have like the super huge chat and it's moving really fast and everyone's all excited about your deep run and everything. So I I guess I would rank it as uh, playing and then streaming and then coaching is probably last for me. I do. I do find that coaching it's kind of like going to the gym or something, right? It's like something that you don't really feel excited to do, but then every time you do it, you're like, Oh, I'm really glad I did that. That's, 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 that's about right. And what is that? Uh, what is BBZ Jordan? I, you know, I know uh, I've spoken with him some, what does he charge or, or like, I mean, obviously maybe you guys have arrangements or whatever, but what's his like typical rate? I think his know? base rate is it's either 300 or 350 an hour. Yeah. Um, then yeah, I've, I've, I've been working with him for a long time. So we have, yeah uh you know arrangements but it's it's not cheap it's it's worth it though because if you think about even if you're paying the full rate if you think about like how much a, a small improvement compounds over the course of x number of hands you know even a even a one big blind per hundred increasing your win rate is going to just lead to massive massive gains over the long term so it, it's definitely very worth investing your time and, and resources into uh getting as good as you can i think Absolutely. Uh, there's a question here from Jimmy Baker live asking about, can you ask about playing against deep stack AI poker? Is there any? Oh yeah, sure. I did that on stream. I played, uh, I played, it wasn't deep stack. It was, it was sort of a deep, it was a, I think it was the university of Alberta and they did a, uh, a thing where it was, you, you played these sit and goes against the, the bot. It would start with 200 big ones deep and then the blinds would go up every 10 minutes. And I actually won three out of five matches, but the only w- the only way I could possibly have won is because the blinds kept going up. So what I would do is just play tight in the beginning. And then once we got to like 20 bigs, I would just look for flips. And that's all you really can do, right? Like when, when you're up against an AI like that, your goal is to minimize your loss. You're not going to beat it. So what you want to do is lose as little as possible. And, and the way to do that is to increase variance in spots where that's feasible to do. Uh, for something like Libratus, like the 200 big blind AI, that's just always 200 deep. That's, that's effectively unbeatable. I mean, it's, there's just no way. So I, I was fortunate that, that it was structured in a fashion that I could beat it. But um, yeah, it, it, the more AI takes over in poker, it's very difficult because, you know, the, they'll come up with these strategies that you just can't possibly plan for or, or conceive of because you're a human. And it, it's going to be really hard, especially in heads up, because there's just so much room for uh, creativity. And and I guess that would be that's sort of like if you get heads up and you're playing against one of if you if you yourself are not, you know, speaking to the if, if you don't have a lot of experience heads up or, you know, a player playing is like one of the best players in the world. That, that's probably the same thing. You want to try to get the variance up, right? You'd love to get. Oh, it absolutely. Yeah. It's very play. important uh, just as a gambling principle in general to know when to inflate the variance versus when to deflate the variance. Because, you know, if you, if you know you're an underdog, you just inflate the variance. It's a it's a very important principle to to know. Absolutely. And this uh, this deal, let's talk about this. Were you familiar with this player or had you ever heard of him or no idea who that is when you made it? I actually had no idea. Uh, but, you know, it was it was at the end of tail end of a 15 hour session or whatever. And it's so much money. And he seemed pretty confident. Like he was 
the big stack for most of the final table. He was doing a very good job leaning on everyone with his big stack, which of course is a different skill set than heads up because you know once your heads up, there's no ICM pressure anymore. It's just a, it's just a chip EV game at that point. Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure if he would be like you know good at heads up, but there was just so much money and it was so late in the session, and I was just so happy to like lock it up at that point. He didn't seem bad basically, so I was willing to chop. And was did you guys just do a stream? There was no nego. It, it seemed pretty quick. So I remember watching the streams. And I was bouncing around Yo Viral, Matt Staples, and yours, and right. kind of seeing the knockouts. I was watching it or in real time, and then I would like flick around and see what was happening. And then all of a sudden, you know, I went there, and then the tournament just ended. So was it? Was it pretty much like all right? You got to look at numbers. He said, okay, chip chop deal, and it was just done. Snapped it. Yeah, very fast. When neither of us messed around at all, it's just we were both pretty happy to lock up our hundred and seventy k or whatever and move on with our lives. I think. Yeah, I mean that's uh that that is you can see the difference 206 to 144 so you get the extra money and then it's interesting cuz some sites you make deals and you play it out which I kind right. of prefer and you know obviously I'm I'm team party all the way and love everything they're doing but these are it would be kind of fun to just play it out i guess it i was kind of surprised i thought they would make us play for five ten or whatever but it just ended the tournament right away which i'm okay with i do think it, i agree with you i think it's better for the fans especially to make you play for something yeah it's also if you're if you're making the deal heads up i guess it depends which side you're on you know that guy i love you know, for me or for you right it's like kind of cool to be like yeah i won the sunday i mean you chopped it so it's the same essentially right. but it's like to say you got first or to actually play it out is uh it's kind of cool, but whatever, right? Who cares? You're, you're, you're tired. What time was it there? And when you, when you finished, it was like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m.? Four or five, I think. Man, Not as uh, far as the ACR tournaments. The ACR tournaments, man, you try to play those over here and you'll be like barely making the money and it's like five in the morning. They're brutal. But this one, it was it was over by five, I think. Might have been slightly after five. Pretty, pretty incredible. Is there, uh, is there, is, what was your best finish in this before, this, this chop? The tournament's only existed for what six months. Yeah, um, I think it was like fortieth, something like that. Okay, so you had you had a couple deep. You've, you've had a deep run or so, but that was. I uh, conquered this one way faster than the stars. I've been playing the stars Sunday million. No exaggeration. Every Sunday, I think. I mean, I've maybe missed like an average of two Sundays a year. Every Sunday since two thousand and six, I never final table the damn thing. And yeah. this one, it's only been around for six months. I final tabled it pretty fast. So I've, I feel pretty good about it. I guess I made up for my stars lack of luck over here. Yeah. What, what is it? How does the structures compare? Uh, are they pretty similar? Mm, I mean, the, the fact that it's two day is definitely a big difference. But uh, I think the party one is deeper on average. I remember being like pretty comfortable for, for a lot of the deep run. I was, you know, 30, 40 big blinds plus. And I think the stars one runs a little shallower than that. But it's been a while since I made a deep run in the stars one. So I'm not really sure. For sure. And what do you, what do you believe is true right now in online poker that is different when, you know, when you got, what got going, obviously the, the level of play and people have gotten better, but what are some overall big differences you've noticed over the years in the current landscape? Like how much more difficult is the game? Is there, is there areas of, uh, is there light areas of, uh, where you think that the game is is more beneficial for a grinder or is it just getting tougher and tougher? Like what, what do you kind of see the forecast of currently and moving forward? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, one, it's definitely become way more professionalized over the years. When I first started, everyone was just like playing on their own, you know, printing money. Cause it was so easy. We were all just like talking a bunch of shit at the tables and being silly in the chat and stuff. And now everyone's like in a stable, they're all in these study groups and doing constant coaching and studying. So the professionalization has been very, very noticeable over the past 10 years. Um, but that's sort of a natural consequence of any any industry with a lot of money sloshing around. You know, people are going to try to get smart about it and, you know, right. make, a, make a real professional attempt at it. Um, so as far as the games go, they're definitely tougher, but there's also way more selection now. 
I think at least at least maybe not relative to pre Black Friday, but relative to like you know 2012, 2013. There's more sites, there's more action, there's more of everything. Uh, we are we do seem to be expanding into some other continents. We're making some inroads into Asia, and then the U.S. is almost like a, a new growth market now because it's been out of the game for a while. And you know you see ACR, it's, it's booming in a lot of ways. So it's it's kind of hard to say. Like it, before the virus, I think the the trajectory was, you know, downwards a little bit. I mean, it probably recovered a little bit. I think, it, I think it bottomed out in like 2016, 17, and since then it seems to be getting a little bit better. Um, so I'm kind of cautiously optimistic, but it, it's so hard to say. There's so much uncertainty with the virus and everything. And then at some point, the AI technology is going to get sufficiently good that you, the sites won't necessarily be able to clamp down on it. So we're going to, we're going to have to see how that plan, pans out. But for the next like three to five years, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you see games like short deck come out, there's five card, there's right. this, you know, they're, they're doing uh, going to four deck or something. They're taking the, they're, I mean, these are always variations. I think that's you know, fair to say too, with no limit, hold them with PLO, these other games, there's variations, right? Like poker used to be seven card stud, five card draw, then it's no limit. So it's like, I think ultimately people, whenever there's games, whenever there's skill poker, these type of things, there's going to be new variations and new kind of adjustments and it's just kind of like cat and mouse right like you said like ai is coming the sites are doing this they get rid of huds they get change names or real name like there's just always these different kind of uh, little little iterations and big blind annie only obviously live like that was huge time you know putting time limits on sin so like i think there's always going to be ways to kind of adjust but yeah is it, is it five years is it 10 years or like what i know it's hard to imagine 20 years from now you know, first of all, if we're even playing poker or, or how much or what's going on, but what, what it looks yeah. like. And it's, it's kind of weird to, you know, it's hard to really go that far away. Um, what do you think about the, cause you play on various sites and then party got, did away with HUDs. What do you think about the no HUDs on party? How does that affect you? Do you like it? Don't like it? I'm fine with it as long as it's enforced equally for everyone. And it seems to be that people aren't really getting around it. Right. I think, I think they're doing a good job of enforcing it. So I think it's, I think it's a good thing overall. Um, it, it is kind I like, I don't mind missing the in-game HUD. I like being able to analyze my hand histories out of game. So, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a little bit more of a, a way to do that. But, you know, as far as missing the in-game HUD goes, I think it's fine. You know, any, anything that levels the playing field a little bit for recreationals, because you don't want to raise the barrier to entry so much, right? You don't want these people to feel like they have to become freaking cyborgs to be able to compete. Like, yeah. you want people to feel like they can at least sit in the game. And even if they're an underdog, they're not up against all this software and all these, like, you know, all these numbers right. and stuff that they have no idea about. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this too. I I remember when it party first got rid of it or they were talking about, I was like, man, this is a big deal. This is going to be kind of weird. And that, and you know, it is kind of, it's kind of fun to talk about to a streamer. Like you can give a little more reasoning, like, Oh, this guy's a little bit tighter or you see in the spot. So it's kind of interesting to have data, but at the same time, when you, I look at some of the replays um, of, of YouTube videos, or I watch other streamers or people that are doing content and you see like, let's just take raise your edge, Ben CB, for example, like you look at his HUD, and you watch that on YouTube and it looks like he's doing like NASA, you know, right, right. rockets. And it's like, mm, really? Like, this is what it takes to be the best. Like, it's pretty intimidating. You know? It is absolutely very intimidating. Even for established pros, you look at that and you're like, holy, wow, I'm, I'm missing yeah. like half his stats. What am I doing? Right. And it's, and then you start. So, so I, I do think that's the biggest thing there is a, that it's uniform across the board. Like you don't have to right. worry because are you getting outperformed? Are you getting out? Is someone doing something, taking advantage of it? So it does kind of give you that, uh, that overall um, feeling of, of a level playing field. What about, um, what about real names on party? You see them do this for some of the, the, the series. Do you think that would be good for all sites to do that? Do you think certain tournaments to have it like WPT branded ones only, or, you know, sir, or do you feel like it, that it's not good? Cause it's kind of interesting. Like it's like, it yeah, makes sure. sense both ways. It's like, well, it's kind of nice to play a game and not, you know, but let's say you don't, let's say you're work, you have a job and you, 
you know, you're not really supposed to be playing poker or it's frowned upon. And now like right. your name, you know, you win the Sunday million uh, and you're at work, you know, you go back to work or you don't want people to know that you did for whatever reason. So there's like some right, privacy right. to it, but you look at like a live venue and everyone knows everyone's name. So it's like, I don't know, where do you, how do you, how do you d- differentiate what that looks like? I like what party's doing as far as rolling it out for the live equivalents of tournaments like the WPT. I think it's very good there. I don't think it should be everything. I think it's important to maintain some degree of a pseudonymity for online poker for the reasons you said, you know, people might be, you know, under crushing tax burdens or they might have, you know, workplaces that frown upon them playing poker. or They might be like some rich whale and they don't want people knowing that they're like gambling in their free time. There's a lot of reasons that you would want to hide your name. So I think it's fine as long as you don't enforce it across all the tournaments. I think it's cool to have it for a few special events. I wouldn't do it for everything. I don't think all the sites have to do it, but I, I, I support trying it and I support uh, doing it for like the WPT and stuff. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think it really it's just one of those things. It's like Democrat, Republican, right? It's like you're going to just have polarizing results. Right. Like it's just there's reasons for both. And it's, it's just hard to say. And then you got to look at like a site bottom line. It's like if yeah, I think if you if you do do real names, you, you are going to see a drop in there's going to be people that do have those reasons. Oh, yeah, I think, I think there will be recreationals who do not like that at all. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's cool to do limited, I think, and just have I'll, it be for I'll say also from like a standpoint of playing, even just like on, I remember when they turned it on and there was like, uh, it was, it was just some, they had it for power fest, maybe the end of it or something there that it was like 500 or one K buy-ins. And I remember being in a tournament deep and I was looking around and I was like, man, that's like, Oh, there's Alex Fox and Adrian Mateos, you know, the, the top, some of the top players in the world, like with two tables left, it's like all crushers. And I'm just like, man, that's kind of, you know, in a way when their name's strawberry girl or, or, or one, two, three dandelion, like it's, it's a little <laughs> less scary when you're seeing, you know, right. <laughs> so there's also it's a little uh, intimidation factor. Yeah, it's like for people maybe that we're going to reg or not and look at the lobby it's been going and you look around you're like, oh, that looks pretty, pretty tough. But I don't know. Anyway, so that's yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your you growing up. And I see you grew up in Menlo Park in California. Yeah, right? Silicon Valley. Yeah, I was a very, very, you know, nice and pleasant childhood. I didn't really have anything difficult happen. Just, uh, you know, great, great schools, great everything. Um, I always liked games, though. You know, I played a lot of magic the gathering growing up. So I was always big into card games. And then in high school, uh, we started playing a, a home game with friends and, uh, you know, we played weird games like Chicago and baseball and stuff. We weren't really playing no limit hold'em, but eventually like the, the moneymaker boom happened and online poker happened. And then from there we sort of got into it. But, uh, yeah, my, my childhood was great. You know, I was very, very fortunate to be, uh, born in such a nice place. And, and how did you, was there, did you get like 50 bucks put on party? Like one of those bucks on, on stars. Yeah. You were stars. First one. One of, my, one of my friends who I played magic with just like was because all my magic playing friends were playing poker when it first, you know, came out 2002, 2000. I actually resisted it a bit at first. I was like, why are you guys like, well, let's go play the other card game. And then eventually I was like, all right, these guys are all making money. They're smart guys. You know, I've, I've been playing this card game with them. I'm sure I can learn the other one. So one of my friends sent me 40 bucks. I didn't have to deposit again for years after that. I just ran it up. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be, that's, I think a lot of people with, with gaming poker got to have to understand too. And it's like, it's it, important for us as being, it, being marketing the game, talking it, promoting it, streaming it um, to remember, like a lot of us started with literally 50, a hundred, a couple hundred bucks, 500 bucks, a thousand bucks in deposits. Right. And then we are now here playing 
bigger buy-ins and we built a role in in different right. things right so it's like when you're promoting or streaming or playing and you're like oh poker is like cool i can do it for a living you have to be careful uh and i and i see you get that message across as well because a lot of people maybe at this stage if you're coming in and you're 35 or 40 and you have a family and a job and you want to start playing it's like all of a sudden you're start you're hopping in playing the sunday million or the party million or the 530 bounty builder like these things you know all of a sudden you start playing tournaments like this you can blow through a lot, especially if you're oh, learning yeah. and you're starting starting out at higher stakes and with more on the line. You know, when we were 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, we don't have wives, we don't have kids, we don't have, right. you know, we don't have like a lot of responsibility and we don't have, uh, we're not really risking as much. I think that's one of the bigger differences and also understand now that the climate is more difficult um, to break in and become a, a player. It's for it's the right place, right time. Uh, how was how your family? I, I did read something that I think your your dad was corporate and he was kind of cool with it and understood it and was just kind of like, you know, supportive and, and your mom was a little more hesitant. Is that true? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, she, she's come around in the long term, but it took a bit. But uh, yeah, I, I had a, a corporate job very briefly after graduating and I worked there for like two or three months. And then I want to see to PCA you know, with all the expenses paid and everything. And I, and I didn't have the vacation times. So I just started working there and I was, I was making more money on the weekends and I was making the job. And I was like, Oh, I mean, screw this. I'm just going to quit and try poker for a while. So I told them and they were like, eh, that's you know, probably not the best idea, but with each, with each year that went on, it became more and more obvious that it was indeed uh, a, a legitimate thing to be in. And I think nowadays with, you know, the way the economy's developed and the way, you know, our generation has developed, I think it's turned out to be a very good uh, decision in retrospect. Absolutely. And, and what, uh, what about, um, kids, you have two children now you're married with two, two yeah, uh, one of them almost four, one of them's almost two. So how has that shifted your overall with poker, uh, playing all, I guess, traveling or online. I mean, it's nice. That's part of it too, to be able to stream from home. And, and you said you spend time with the kids and then you hop on and fire a stream. Um, that that's, it seems like a pretty good schedule. I guess not as much time for sleep, uh, depending on what time you get going, but how, how has that affected your overall production and, and play and, and everything. It's um, it's, you know, I started the stream before my first kid was born and as they've gotten older, it's been harder to keep up with like the Twitch end of things, I guess. So I haven't been as on top of like the social media promotion and stuff. Uh, you're really good at that, by the way. I'm very impressed with your ability to, to stay on top of all that stuff. I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Um, well, I have a lot of help. I, I mean, it's not me. I, 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 Vadrian, I got to shout out Vadrian for that. Cause he, oh, yeah, he's, he's the best. He's the best. Yeah, he really is. So yeah. yeah. He set up all my Twitch stuff. Very, very big shout out to him. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's been, you know, it's, I, I'm very lucky to have the, the work life out. My, my wife stays home with them too, which is nice. So like, we don't have to worry about working two jobs. We just have to worry about giving me enough time to work, which is good. Um, and it's great. I get to spend so much time with them every day. I feel, I feel very blessed for that. Uh, so I, I guess it's, it's just sort of cut down a little bit on my time for like starting new projects. But as far as like my normal grind and my studying and everything, I've done a pretty good job of integrating everything into a, a nice schedule for where it all works out for me. And how, so how much sleep do you get a night on average? Like you, it depends, I guess, what time good, actually. I can get like, well, it depends. Some nights I'll usually finish around like two, but during scoop, it's more like three or four. At, at, in the morning and then I'll sleep uh, some, some days I'll sleep till like eight and then I'll get up with the kids for an hour until my wife gets up and then I'll go back to sleep from like nine to one other days. I'll just sleep from like three to 12. So, you know, I, I usually manage to get like eight or nine hours, which is pretty good. Nice. And then, so like you said, then that's when you sort of, that's your time to spend with them. And then you have, then you go live or, or, right. or you start playing your, your session after you've got your, your day with the kids basically. So, so it, it has cut a little bit down on our live travel because it, it's harder to take two kids everywhere, obviously, but it's, you know, it, once the coronavirus alleviates, hopefully soon, we're, we're going to try to get back on the traveling a little more. 
Yeah. And how, how is the, what is it like where you're at with the coronavirus? Is everything on full lockdown? And you can't even tell that like anything's different, honestly. The Netherlands, they haven't done much. I mean, they closed the schools. They just reopened them uh, this week. So they're, they're open as of Monday. I haven't sent Alex back yet because I'm not, I'm still not sure. I'm kind of waiting to see what happens a little bit more, but uh, the stores, like you gotta, you know, they gotta wipe down the carts and you gotta wait for people to come out and everything. But I don't know, as far as from my perspective, everything seems largely the same, but that's partly because I'm so disconnected from like the, the overall work economy here. Right. Cause everything I do is over the internet and stuff. So I think we've, we've had less life restrictions than in the States, for example, but um, you know, things, things seem to be getting back to normal now. And I, ho- I hope that that doesn't result in another huge spike. I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, it's uh, kind of un- unclear, so uncertain times for yeah, sure. A lot of uncertainty, and that's it's a, it's an interesting time because there's so much uncertainty and there's so little reliable data, but everyone has to c- craft their whole like hot take on it, you know. So everyone has their like position, and it's it's just a very interesting time right now. I'm I'm just kind of observing. Yeah, I'd say that's uh, pretty accurate, and and just it's really hard to know because there's so many different motives, right? Like the right. economy and the the countries. It's like all right, well, you know, behind closed doors, the world leaders they're basically like it could be listen if we don't turn the economy on if we don't go back things are going to just fully collapse so that's what right. we got to do or or is it like all right we believe this is true but you know so there's a lot of uh you kind of got to you got to take your own your own uh your own decision on how this stuff is i think it's just very important to embrace some of the uncertainty and just admit that you don't know everything right now because a lot of people seem to think they know you know exactly what's going on and it's I mean, like i don't think any of us do for sure. And, and so you're, you, how, where did you meet your wife or how did you meet uh, and get in? Cause playing poker, you know, my wife is Brazilian po- poker is a not frowned upon. It's just a kind of unknown and, and gambling right. per se, you know, call it what you want poker, but it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky thing. And yeah, sure. to sort of go, how, how was uh, she with that? And how did, when you met her, did you, uh, was that an issue at all? Or was she like, just like whatever supportive the whole way and not worried? So I, I met her when we were both in college. I was 21. She was 20 in 2006. Um, we met studying abroad at Cambridge. We did like a study abroad program for the summer. We both went to UC Irvine, but we didn't meet until we were in Cambridge. And so we hung out all summer. And then when we went back, we started dating or whatever. Um, and so I, I, I wasn't really a pro at that point. I was just playing to pay the bills or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I actually remember the first time she like came into my, my dorm room in Cambridge and saw me playing poker. And was like, Oh, this is for real money. I was playing like one, two cash or something. I was like, yeah, that's for real money. And it was like, I'm up 300 bucks an hour. And she's like, Oh wow, cool. You know? So we were both pretty young and it was novel. And it was like, and I, I, I never like, I've had ups and downs in my career, but I've never dropped the ball as far as like paying for our expenses and like giving us a good, comfortable life. So, you know, it, it wasn't very difficult to convince her because she's been with me from the, the very beginning. Right. And, and, uh, when did you know that you for sure were going to do this? Cause like you said, you're playing in college, you had been playing in high school, you had a natural aptitude for games sort of doing well. But when did you say like, wow, this is like, I, I am going to just go for this straight up. Like when was that? When did you feel confident to make that? Choice? I kind of figured all through college, I kind of assumed I would just keep doing it because it's really what I love. You know, it's, it's my thing. And so I, I briefly tried the corporate thing because that's the responsible thing to do, you know? And I just, I just yeah. hated it. Like I can't, I can't function in like a corporate hierarchy setting. Um, so I, I always sort of had it in the back of, even growing up as a young kid, I always wanted to be like a, a musician, you know, I wanted to be in like a rock band or whatever when I was growing up. So I, I never really had my sights set on like a conventional corporate lifestyle. I always wanted to do something. And once poker, you know, was booming and became like something that was actually feasible, I, I just sort of gravitated right towards it. And, uh, see a question here, curious on your longest, longest downswing, downswing. You a period where you just couldn't get it together or you actually ever questioned 
not quitting or stopping or, or adjusting what you were doing to do what, what's like the longest period of time where it just wasn't working. So mid 2014 up through like 2016, I guess I had a pretty big downswing. Um, I was still, cause you know, during black Friday, I got used to the idea that I was just like one of the best players in the world because back then I was just crushing. Right. And I kept playing pretty high stakes and throughout 2012, 2013, and even the first half of 2014, everything was going great. But the games were getting steadily tougher, you know, because the Americans were out of the market. Stars was starting to do their whole thing where they clamped down on Supernova Elites, which sent a bunch of like cash and sit and go geniuses back into the MTT fields and made them much tougher. And I just kept firing away at the high buy-ins, you know, because I had I had the money for it and I wasn't really studying. And I, I went on a pretty big downswing, like 150K or something um, during the during that time. And so uh, in order to get back on my feet, I... I like joined up with a stable briefly to try to get more coaching. I started, uh, that's around when I started the Twitch stream actually was, was briefly after that 2016 was going a little bit better for me, but part of the reason to start the Twitch stream was because poker hadn't been going great for the last year or two. So I wanted to sort of diversify. Interesting. And, and so did you, was that a function of variance, just not running it well or a combination you think of all those factors of why I got I was definitely playing bad. Like, I mean, there was, I mean, I'm sure there was some variance, but, I, but what I was trying to do was just play my, 2012 game in like 2014 2015 fields without really updating anything and it just wasn't working you know because everyone else is studying and the you know and I, I just was behind the curve for a little bit I, I feel like right now i'm pretty on top of the curve i study a lot and stuff but it's taken quite a bit of work to get back there interesting what well, and and uh okay so then in, in black friday explain to me where you were and what happened then what what was your immediate reaction and, and looking back on it how does it how do you think that all played out it's a tough time for me man so the first Four months of 2011 were by far the best of my career. I, I was up like 300, 350 in four months. And that was in full tilt. was running there like triple guarantee weeks, double yeah. guarantee weeks, all this crazy shit. Unlimited re-entries or, you know, four. I, got I had a stretch 13 out of 14 days or a cash for 10K or more. 13 out of 14 days in like February of that year. And how many, um, what was your buy-ins per day? About Maybe like five, you know, like pretty five, six. So it, it wasn't like I was cashing for 10 off of like two or anything, but it was, yeah. it was still very consistent. Like it was like putting in a shitload of money every day and every day it was taken out like more and more and more. It was just amazing. And I had, we had this nice condo in Laguna de Gal on top of a hill. Look, and we had like a, you know, BMW convertible. We, we were just living the life in SoCal. Right. And then right. all my, most of my money was on full tilt. I had moved some over to stars, but I had like, I don't know, 200 stuck on full tilt or something when they went down. So I was like, wow, this is fucked. Um, so my first reaction was, all right, I'll just ride it out. I'll go play the world series of poker. Cause I did that every year. And then as soon as the world series of poker ends, I'll relocate my account to Canada and then I'll cash out my full tilt money. Um, and then, you know, halfway through the world series, we get the news that full tilt completely suspended operations because they got their license pulled or whatever. And that was like probably the worst day of my poker life. I mean, I was like, wow, I just, I, I basically just thought that 200 K just, you know, disappeared into thin air. Right. And I had been firing the World Series as though I had that 200k behind, so I was I was you know in for a lot, and I was like basically torching my bankroll, and I had no I did, I thought I had all these reinforcements on the horizon, and then they just weren't coming, so it became really rough for me. Uh, 2012 was a pretty hard year. I got I relocated pretty fast to Canada, and I I went there for a little bit, but 2012 was hard, and then uh, you know it took until 2013 for me to really get back on track. I went to I moved to Amsterdam in the middle of 2013, and when you what what do you but before i want to 
talk on that a little more, but what do you think about the re-entry stuff? And I actually just saw Patrick Leonard, you know, pad squad put that big thing about these guarantee that right now there's a boom that that's not sustainable with the rake, these different sites and like the multiple re-entry charging on. And I saw Rob Young who basically came in and was saying, you know, party, where do I sign? Cause one max re- max one re-entry don't charge a rake on the rebuy, all these different things. But I mean, it's uh, you know, GG, um, stars getting crushed people are saying how high the, the, the what they're doing and then ggs is high you know all these different things party as well is, is, is taking money on re-entries where do you stand on should there be re-entries should some stuff be re-entries should there not be a, a rake on the second rebuy like what do you think is the optimal situation for the ecology of poker right now it's sort of a prisoner's dilemma situation, like you were saying with Rob, right? Because he's like, where do I sign with party? But like, if the competitors aren't going to sign, then you're going to miss out. So I think ideally we'd have less re-entries, ideally freeze outs. I mean, I, I think it's worse for each individual pro, but it's way better for the ecology as a whole to have everything be a freeze out because then you don't, because, you know, if you have all these re-entries, like that's a problem with the phase tournaments too, right? Is that like the pros are going to fire as many bowls as it takes to make day two of the million. Whereas the Rex might fire one or two, right? So by the time you make day two, things are tougher than they would be otherwise. So it's a problem. I don't really think there's a great answer to it because as always in poker, we're all competing with each other. So it becomes very difficult to do coordinated collective action because we're like, we're naturally individuals competing with one another for as big of a piece of the pie as we can get. So we get caught in a lot of prisoners dilemmas like that. And I think that uh, this is one of them. I hope that pads is being overly pessimistic, but it's possible that he's correct. And it'd be really nice if we could cut back on the re-entries and stuff, but I'd, I don't see an easy way to get there. Yeah. I kind of like the one re-entry rule is sort of, I, I think that's like a, for a, a pretty good compromise overall, but it's well, what party's so, doing now is, is quite good. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. They're making some good, good decisions. It seems. Um, well, and how did you choose Amsterdam out of all the places? Where did you, how did you set this up? As a, well, we, we first started visiting here in 2006 when we met and then we'd come back like, every year or two to play the master classics tournaments and Amsterdam's just like a big stop for all the traveling EPT poker players. They all stop through here on their way to go to EPT events or whatever. Um, so I don't know. We had, we had a lot of history coming here and we were just like, it's actually a lot easier to get residency here than it is in Canada, or at least it was seven years ago. I don't know if it still is, but Canada, you need like 600 K or you need like a whole bunch of, uh, you know, a whole bunch of stuff to get up there. You need to be like studying or whatever here. You just had to start a business and invest five K. So it's pretty easy hurdle to clear. So, um, yeah, it was just a combination of like us having a history with the city and a love for it combined with it being like feasible. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So I've been there. It's definitely a good place to uh, definitely a good place to, to set up shop. So that that's very cool. I, yeah, it's great. And uh, before I did, we have a ton of questions, which I do want to dive into. Yeah, I answered a few of them on Twitter yesterday, but I left, I left enough over that we could get a, quite a few in, I think. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I see. I do see. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. People are, are, uh, are, are curious. Um, what, what do you think, uh, for the, I, I was actually, the I'm just fascinated with the million cause it's such a sick score. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. What, what is a, what's like a good stack? Like, cause you can actually, if you bag, keep playing, like what, is there a certain number that if you bag, you would play additionally? Or do you think if you just get in, there's, it's just punting money. If you're, I, I usually just play the stack I get in with. I mean, if, if you get in like really short, then maybe, but it's just like the bar to clear becomes so like, it, it's already like your ROI regging a two fifteen tournament is going to be like, not amazing. Probably let's say 25. I mean, that's probably generous given that it's like a fairly tough field. We'll say your ROI is 25. And then you also have to like beat the previous stack you bag. That becomes very difficult to justify from a value perspective. Right. So unless I had like side bets or something, I don't think I would uh, re-enter as long as I had a stack already. You think even like a two X, a double starting, you just go for it. 
Uh, yeah, double starting. I mean, if I had like two big blinds, I might re-enter again. But d- double starting, I would just I would just make day two and try to you know drag out the min cash and then go from there. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Um, awesome. All right. Well, that's okay. So I, I've covered my million. I, I've, I've I'm just so that's just the one. It seems. Uh, of course, seems like that's, that's the that's the the reason for the season. You know, it's the dream. Um, okay. It's let's uh, let's yeah, great. Let's dive into some questions. I'm going to show guys again. He does can follow him on Twitch. Here's a look actually at May third when he was heads up making that deal uh, with the. Uh, Three other well, three streamers were there. Five-handed Matt Staples, Yo Viral, and Brian. And then you can follow him on Twitch. Be Paris Poker. He also has a YouTube channel. Uh, who does? Um, who, how much of the are you doing editing? Do you have an editor? How often are you? I got an editor. Uh, we haven't uploaded in a little bit though, because I've seen a lot of people have been getting shut down and demonetized there. So I actually haven't updated in a while. I don't have a million video up yet. Okay. Uh, that last that last win I think is from like late last year. Yeah, four months ago. So it's been a minute because they started demonetizing and all this stuff. So I kind of uh yeah moved away from it a little bit but we're definitely gonna have to make a video about the million you know demonetization or not yeah they they it's sort of gotten fixed as of now i think at least uh, okay. there's been a ton of uh ton of ton of back and forth but i mean i i had like 70 videos pulled down and got them back and then again there was an issue and got them back and then pretty much you know, i think they're they're looking at it now poker more closely jamie staples took the lead on getting nice. the streamlined thing and, and may, helping as well and we're trying to you know make sure that everyone gets gets their isn't getting messed with there so um yeah on instagram as well be paris poker that's the last picture is Bryn with my kid when he was like one oh, that's cool yeah he's uh he's big man that was one year when he's one years old he looks big. a little over one i think yeah walking huh I yeah, yeah he's right. my son's literally like about to pop like he'll take like a step he's say he's just over one as well and it's uh it's gonna be any day Oh yeah. Um, Once they start walking, you got to start chasing them and that's like, it's right. That's a whole nother, a whole nother situation. Uh, All right. Well guys, again, there is a $55 ticket. We're going to give away to somebody. If you ask a question, you're eligible and and follow the, the, uh, the instructions there, but we'll, we'll kind of zoom, zoom into some of these. We'll, you know, fast, rapid fire. We can skip some too. Um, But let's just kind of go through it. So uh, here, Alexander, Bill Zare asks, have you ever thought about quitting poker? Has there ever been a period since you started where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to do this? Not really. I mean, there's there's been times where I've thought about like reorienting my focus within poker. I mean, like going on Twitch was sort of part of that. And then I like I, I did some announcing for the WPT and I did I did half the announcing for the WSOP circuit and stuff. So like even when I've been questioning my ability to make as much money playing poker, I've always wanted to do something within poker. And, you know, the goal is always to be one of the best in the world and play and make money that way. So I'm hoping to stay on that track for as long as it's feasible. But once it's not, I'll, you know, do my best to pivot in a way that makes sense. For sure. Uh, what is the best thing you've spent your winnings on? You ever bought something just from like a huge heater, a tournament score? Probably just vacations, I guess. We, we, I don't buy things so much. We, we were very transient for a while because when we first moved here, we didn't have a permanent residence. So we were like hopping between Airbnbs, going around EPT stops and stuff like that. So I've always splurged on like vacations more than possessions. I guess, I guess, I guess I'll say that the BMW uh, in 2011, after that stretch, I told you about where I cashed 10 K 13 out of 14 days. We bought it like a, a BMW Z4 convertible. Uh, and that was nice. But once we moved out of California, I had to sell it. And, and w- which do you, it's hard, I guess. I mean, you're sub, you're number, well, you were number two and you, you've got over 10 million in career earnings online. And you're definitely, I would say, characterized as a online guy, right? That's like, your oh, yeah, yeah. people know you Mormon, you as, as two of like the all time crushers in, in online poker. So I guess the question is pretty obvious, but online or live, 
you know, you have played a fair amount of live. What, what do you, which do you prefer? Um, let's just take out kids. Let's take out everything in the equation. If you could just right. go play live at the WSOP or play a huge series online, what, what do you think you would uh, like to do? If you could live do? is softer and live is really freaking fun when you get a stack going. But the problem is like the, the, it happens so slowly that you spend a lot of time in like day ones and you spend a lot of time in like the grinding up a stack. It's fun as hell. When you get to day two, day three, you got a mountain of chips in front of you. You're it's great. You know, but like there's, there's so much, the way it works with live with me is I always get really excited when there's a live series. And then by like level three, I'm just like, fuck, I wish I could go home and play online. Right. So, you know, it's way softer and it's way, it's really fun when you get stacks going, but overall online is still my number one, uh, passion yeah. i guess it, it it's you know and it's it's funny because i've noticed this in the last year um and i'm sure you've noticed this with the kids too it it becomes the dream of like live poker i mean i guess it goes in waves right like when they maybe if poker's still around or i'm sure oh, i'm sure it's around but let's say in 10 15 20 years how will will there be a world poker tour will party have a stop like what's you know will they do the series is that going to be going on because you know maybe there's a there's a second wave for us right like you see guys like oh, yeah who won the he's won three WPTs live. He was on the podcast. Kind of crazy, right? He's an older guy. Yeah, started, you know, it's pretty he's got it's just like, you know, at some point, like, yeah, it'd be cool to go and travel the world with your your uh significant other, you know, the with the wife and go around and hit some of these cool stops again and do that. But like at a certain like this point where your children are young, like I have a one year old, it's kind of kind of hard to be like, yeah, I'm going to go play like a five day tournament. Like, you know, right, like, right. for like a, for, for what a 3,500 buy-in or, or a 5k or even like, you know, other than the main event, there's really, it's hard. Of, yeah. It's like, make that make sense to, to do Especially if you got other business obligations and you know, other stuff going on. I mean, you got a whole bunch of stuff going on. So you got to put all that on hiatus for a while while you're playing. It's uh it can be difficult. Yeah. And, and give me, give me a bit of your routine. Like what is your typical routine on a, you know, it's, do you, do you work out? Do you meditate? Do you do stuff before you start playing? Or is it like you're with the kids and you just fire up the tables the second you're ready? Uh, so I, yeah, I usually like do some workouts during the day with the kids being around. I used to go to the gym every day, but it's closed now. So I, I got like one of those resistance bands and I do, I do workouts with that during the day. And then I'll do some studying during the day on my laptop or, or the phone. I have DTO, uh, which is that app. I don't, I don't know if you've used it, but it's, yeah. I would highly recommend it. Very, very good app. I, um, I have- so yeah. I've used it. I've talked with Dominique a bit about doing some stuff with them just to like, cause it's fascinating to me. Is that what you, do you believe that someone just can pick that up, download it and that they would like, that's going to be able to just kind of seeing stuff and seeing the results. That's a really good way to study. Like to get, to well, given, it. given a certain amount of instruction into like what it all means and yeah. given like enough study time. Yes. But those are two big hurdles. I think. Like you're not going to just have some random dude off the street just pick it up and like be able to make sense of it. But if you had a few hours of coaching to explain to you what it all meant, and then you just studied it like two hours a day for a year or something, I think you would be very well set up to make a lot of money playing poker. Interesting. There seems there's so much information now, right? There's a uh... that's the thing. It's really just about your willingness to like sit down and grind through it all and process it all. It's it's. I mean, it's out there if you, if you know where to look and if you're willing to put in the work, it's out there what is your understanding of you work with upswing and you promote them like take an upswing, raise your edge, poker code DTO. Um, you know, there's poker, there's the one with Ryan LaPlante now learn pro poker. There's a bunch of different courses with obviously people that know what they're talking about. Chance Cornet has one, they're solved for a while. So you could take like seven, eight courses that are marketed and, and, and players that are competent. What do you think the, uh, what does, is it, is it just, different ways to the end result like do you is there some that you think are just not good or basically if you were to go and dive deep in any of those courses and go through it all and study take notes ask questions do you think that 
pretty much you would be improving at some level, no matter what, or do you think that, you know, where do you, obviously you're biased, like I'm biased to raise your edge. You know, I've, I know upswing is very, very, very good. Um, everything I've heard and I see and Doug, of course, and, and these guys like Petrangelo and, um, you know, people that are involved in that are obviously very competent and very good players and world-class. So I'm sure it's all good, but what do you say to someone who's looking for a coaching product? What, what would be your advice? to get to do. Um, I mean, I can only speak to raise your edge and upswing. Cause I've done those two courses. I think they're both very good. Like you were saying, uh, you know, I, I found upswing a little bit easier to parse just because like, it's a stupid reason, but because Petrangelo has an American accent instead of a German accent, like yeah. the information just processes through my filter more easily. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would recommend both of those, but they're both kind of advanced to start with. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because poker is such a weird, complex thing that you really need like an introduction to it before you can even start studying it and learning it properly. So, I mean, those courses are really good. You're going to glean something from them, but I think it helps to have some like person to person instruction as well to sort of walk you through it all. And so you can ask questions and get immediate feedback and stuff like that. What, what do you, what would be, okay, let's just take, again, let's go with the average reg today. He's playing, he wants to play their series going, what is the right blend? Let's just take, say, call it a flip, raise your edge or upswing to do work each day and DTO. Do you feel like if you did an hour of raise your edge every day or, or upswing and you did an hour of DTO, just what would you study on DTO? Would you literally just go through hands? Like how, what would you set if you're playing, let's just say a multi-table tournament schedule, like a typical one, what would be the way to set up on DTO to study? Like what's like, what I do is I look at my database and I find my biggest leaks and then I focus on those spots. So for example, my, uh, my check fold when out of position is too high in like all spots. So I, I try to find spots where it's like hijack first cut off and I'm the hijack and I'll just run like a hundred hands of that and just see like, you know, how, how I'm supposed to defend when I check, like, because it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, to be out of position and to check call sufficiently. So, so like it's, I, I try to, I try to look at my database, zoom in on one spot. And then the, the beauty of DTO is they have, they offer like 50 different spots. You can just pick one. You can just run a hundred hands and just until you really get the hang of it. So, um, I would orient more towards D because the upswing and art razor edge stuff is more about like big concepts. Whereas DTO is just about getting in the trenches and just banging out hands, you know? And I, th I think that, uh, you, you need a lot of that second one. So I, I would probably orient more, more than half of my study time to DTO. If I, if I was doing a blend like that. Very interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, it's great. Great ad ad advice. Um, and do you think that's a good breakdown though? Like to spend, do you do, do a mixture of that? Like well, that would be, your study that's how you would do it one hour, like I, haven't, hour. I haven't watched courses in a bit myself so what i do is i just i do an hour a week with bbz to to go into my database and see where i'm messing up the most and then i'll, I'll try to orient the rest of my week's dto study around that and then maybe i'll, I'll run a few po sims and more in depth if i want to look into some spots um that, that's my personal mix uh, as far as like i definitely think the courses can help quite a bit for learning the big picture concepts but poker is is a lot about details you know every right. spot is very subtly different um, so I, th I think that just doing a ton of hands in DTO and trying to pick up patterns has been the, the best learning method for me recently, but that that's different for me because I've, I've been around the game so long that all the big picture stuff has, has been with me for quite a while now. For sure. Uh, let's go back. Let's get back into the, the questions from here. What is a uh, favorite poker memory money aside, uh, beating Sean Deeb heads up in the Sunday brawl in 2009. Cause he used to think I sucked and I did, I wasn't very good. Um, and at that point, my biggest score was maybe like 20 K and, uh, you know, I, I was in Vegas playing the world series. And I remember I was like kind of annoyed that day. I forget why I had to take my friend to the airport and there was a bunch of traffic or something. So I came back and I was playing online and I was like, man, I'm pissed off. So I, I get in the brawl and I just start playing aggressive as hell, just 
bluffing every hand, all these three bets, four bets, running it up. And I, I crushed. I got all the way to the final table. And uh, Sean Deeb has always been like, he's a bit of a trash talker, you know, and I, I would just sucked back then. It was 2009. Everyone sucked, but I was especially bad, mm-hmm. uh, you know, relative to what I am now, obviously. And so I got heads up with him. I had a slight lead. I had 3.2 million. He had 2.8 million. I offered him an even chop and he just typed LOL in the chat. And I was like, all right, fuck you then, buddy. And then I just crushed him in 15 minutes. It was like the best feeling I ever had. Well, and then what was that like 60 or 50 to first? I forget what those Eight, uh, 90, 90. Yeah. So that was probably, yeah. so this was the golden age of FTP. It was, it was quite big. Yeah, that's that wasn't even their biggest major. That was their secondary major. Yeah, that's right. The the uh, yeah, I remember they had the mulligan and then the other main main event one each time. That, yeah, that the, was, the, was really days. Like that was Sunday guarantee, whatever. It yeah. didn't hit a million for a while though. Their their Sunday guarantee it was they started like six hundred k. I think it eventually hit a million, but it took a while. Yeah, that, that that was the heyday of online, no doubt. Like I remember that too. You know, at that age we are and just playing online poker, being in Vegas and like being. No, good we had it, man. The, the, yeah, to bust the bust the World Series event and then get to go and like fire online, like good turn. That's what I always used to do. I would I would crush online during the series because you know a lot of the good players were playing live, so I would just bust the World Series event, go back to my air conditioned Vegas room and just bang out an online session and just always make all the money back it was great yeah those that was, those are fun times for sure uh someone's asking here which i see you've already answered but we'll, we'll highlight it you're do you ever see yourself being sponsored by either party or poker stars and I, I see you do already give a reply there giving love to party i like to see it and and talking about some reasons uh uh why you know is what is being sponsored like is that because you have been sponsored now you've done several deals and, and you're you're open to, to more what, how does that feel to be to be a sponsored pro? Is that uh, was that always a goal of yours? I mean, yeah, it, it, I definitely think it was like part of the reason I wanted to start my Twitch was to raise my own profile, you know, because I was I was going to be the second person to ever hit ten million, and too many people just hadn't heard of me, and I was like, well, that's that seems wrong, you know, I should I should change that, and I think I've done a good job changing that. Uh, being a sponsored pro is sort of like a secondary consequence of that, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm not in it for just the money. I would like to sp- be sponsored by a site that I really believe in. Um, which is why I was saying I don't really want to work with Star. I don't think they'd want to work with me at this point either because I've been talking a lot of trash about their decision to to pull the rug out from under the Supernova elites a few years back. Right. Um, so like, if I'm going to be representing a site, I want to be in my chat and I don't want to be constantly like having to ban people who say un, uh, inconvenient things or like stuff like that. So I, I would like to be sponsored by a site that I believe in. And I think that Party, you know, they, they make some mistakes, but they're really doing a great job of trying to innovate and stuff. And I think naturally, you know, when I was working with them, I would, I, I still love the site. The reason I stopped working with them is because they left the Netherlands. Uh, I think, you know, they've grown really big since I started working with them and they've, they've really expanded in a lot of directions. I don't agree with their like re-entry policy, for example. And there's some other stuff they do that I don't agree with, but overall I believe in the site. And I believe that they're improving the game by existing. So if I am going to be sponsored by a site, I want it to be a site that I can like hold my head up high and, you know, not like lock poker or whatever. Right. And it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's good for the industry when there's competition. You know, I think that's the biggest oh, thing. Like stars sort of had a monopoly with streamers and everything. And then now parties got involved, GG, um, you know, yeah, natural eight other sites that are, that are there, even, even like ACR and these sites that are doing some stuff, getting people some deals, you know, having guarantees, making people have a choice, right. It's, it's nice. Like if, if it's just one option, like, it's not good just in general, right? Monopoly. Yeah, you always need competition and innovation. And I think party, you know, they make some mistakes, but they've done a really good job of like pushing the envelope in a lot of different directions. And I think pads is a really good person to have in charge of the tournament schedule. Cause he understands like all the nuances of the market and everything. For sure. Uh, any sports, do you play any sports at all? Uh, I mean, not really. Like I, I used to snowboard, but it's been a long ass time. Um, I work out a lot, but I, I'm not really a sports 
I play like catch with my kids and stuff, but <laughs> maybe when they get older, we'll, we'll start playing real sports. Nice. And uh, have you ever had a problem with bankroll management? When I first started, I had, I would have a lot of stretches where, because money came so easily back then. Right. I mean, I could, you could just go busto and it's like, all right, whatever. I'll just like run it back up again. It's not even a problem. Nowadays, it feels a little more daunting to try and do that. So I've gotten a lot better about it recently, but back in the day, man, we used to just fire. We used to just blast. Just be like, all right, I got $1,500 with my full tilt account. Let's jump in the 1k. Like, yeah. <laughs> Go for but it. As you get older and as you get more responsibilities and you've been through the boom bust cycle a few times, you start to be like, all right, this is stupid. Let's just be smart about this. And I've gotten a lot smarter about it over the years. Absolutely. What about, uh, we talked about how do you study poker? We've already gone over that. Someone asking, um, what about which, which flights of the party million are the softest kind of interesting. Now there are, I played, I played a ton, right? I usually just play whatever is going. And if I'm there and I'm playing online, I'll, I'll fire at what, which is there any flights in particular that are, you think it's really beneficial because some are turbo, some are six max turbo, some are like, you know, on a Sunday for the next Sunday, you know, like looking, I guess, probably the bigger flights, right? The deeper stack, right. the bigger flights are going to be better. Is that generally the, the rule or what do you? Uh, I like the $22 ones. They have the $22 like phase into the 215. Oh, wow. So you start with, you start with a hundred K in the $22 tournament. And then after X number of levels, you just take however many chips you have into the 215. So you can, you can finish with 1.5, you can finish with 600, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can finish, but that's, that's what I try to do early in the week. I play the 22s to try and get in on the cheap. And then as the week goes on and I still don't have a stack, I'll start just direct firing the 215s. I think the turbo ones give you the best chance of getting in, but not necessarily the best chance of having a stack. So if your goal is to just like have a high min cash frequency, then playing one of the turbo or hyper ones is probably your best bet. But if you want to like have a legit stack and a legit shot, um, I'm not really sure which 215s are the best, but I would guess some of the like random weekday ones and there's just not too many regs playing them. Right. How do you see the future of online poker? What is your, uh, we, we did kind of go over this, but what do you, let's just give me, give me post, you know, this COVID let's talk back. Cause like there's been a big boom of, with mm-hmm. the numbers, but do you think this is good or bad? Is it sustainable? I hope it's sustainable. I mean, it's definitely good in the short term. I think, I think, uh, you know, as live poker dies and as sports betting becomes less and less feasible with all the leagues stopping, we're going to see that gambling money go somewhere. It might as well go into online poker. I think that's great. I think pads has some valid points about like, this should be a time where we're like really building. And instead we're kind of just like firing the same old strategies and it, it might not work out as well in the long term as we want. But, you know, I think, I think in the short to medium term, at the very least, um, having more people just like, have experience with playing online poker, having an account, depositing, even if they only play a couple things during this time, they're more likely to come back later. So I, I think it, it could definitely benefit us. I think ACR is doing some good stuff with all these like celebrity charity tournaments or whatever. It's not the type of thing that appeals to me, but if it appeals to more people to get them into poker, then that's definitely good. So I'm cautiously optimistic for the short to medium term. For the longer term, I really don't know. For, uh, yeah, I'm aligned with you on that. Um, first place to choose to play live poker when it's safe again. Uh, I mean, I like Holland Casino Amsterdam. That's my, my local, my local grind now. So I guess I'll go with that. But I mean, my favorite place to play has got to be Monaco, the Monte Carlo Bay club or whatever. So if, if they, if they run that EPT this year, I'm gonna try to go to it. That'd be nice. Um, who was your poker idol growing up? That's a good question. Um, I don't really, I don't really know if I gravitated towards any particular player. I mean, we all liked Phil Ivy or whatever, but, uh, I guess like Sean Deeb, honestly. And he, yeah, he's uh, he also does the family plays a lot of poker, very high level. Um, right. You know, but he, he was he was just the original crusher for online tournaments, and my, my focus was always online. And you know, he was just yeah, he was way ahead of the curve. I and mean, the guy's a freaking genius. I don't know if you ever talked to him, but it's just like his brain's just moving like a million miles a minute. So 
some some people you can just tell when you talk to them that they're just like ridiculously high IQ and they're just like natural crushers. And he's he's definitely one of them. So he I guess he was the first person I like wanted to sort of emulate as far as the online game goes. Absolutely. What so sweet. What about um broad so I'm saying to broadcasting on Twitch while playing a major tournament doesn't take away your concentration question mark. I mean, I guess we did talk about you believe it uh, calibrates to about six tables, so it definitely takes away some stuff. Yeah, it, it takes away when I have a lot of tables, but if I'm down to like two, three tables, it doesn't take away anything. If anything, it makes it better because I'm more inclined to like explain through every decision rather than just like watching something on the side and like clicking when I have decisions pop up. So I, I think it helps with with few tables, but with a lot of tables, it definitely takes out from the concentration. What about mixed games? Do you play any mixed games? Any other games besides Nolan? I Holden? used to dabble. Uh, I won the two fifteen horse in two thousand nine or something for like eight k, but been a while. <laughs> so I, I, uh, yeah, I, I used to mess with them, but I haven't studied them for like ten years. So I think I'd, it would take some study to get back into them. I do like the idea. I just don't think that the like the reward is there for the time investment right now. If I lived in Vegas or something, I would definitely study them. And your first, uh, you, you cashed, get, had a deep run in the first, was that your first ever live tournament, 2008? This, uh, looking at some of the lives. Yeah, yeah that's the one, uh, yes for one, right? I got, I got like 11th or something. Yeah. It wasn't my first ever one, I don't think. But, but it was your first, first live cash. I lost all in with uh, ace-queen suited against nines. I forget which hand I had. Somebody had ace-queen suited, somebody had nines. So if I won that flip, I would have been at that final table and I had all of myself. It was a big tournament and everything. But that was my right. first run. So speaking of all of yourself, what do you what do you do generally with breakdowns? Like when you're playing online, are you playing 100 percent yourself? Do you do any kind of deals or swaps or stakings ever? Or, or is we sell action on poker shares. When I first started the uh, stream, I was selling action on stakings, and it's a nice deal and everything. It's just a lot of maintenance, a lot of uh, you know, like busy work behind the scenes, like cal- calculating everything and stuff. So eventually, I switched over to poker shares because my my incentive with it is not so much to like mitigate my variance because I'm playing low enough that I can just keep it and it doesn't hurt me. Um, but my intention is to drive interest in the stream. So poker shares is perfect for that because people can just like place bets on me to do well in tournaments and I don't have to do anything on my end. They pay it all out and stuff. Interesting. So, yeah. so I try to mitigate variance with like satellites rather than selling action these days, but, but uh, so on stake Kings, you can sell a piece of, of actually yourself, but on poker shares there, there you're the betting and the site is taking risk, but they're not actually getting a piece of you technically, exactly. but they, I mean, they are. They're just they're betting at like a sports bet, whereas stakings it's like right. a piece of your actual risk. So you're not you're not you're not taking. I guess you're having engagement because people are sweating it the same way right. almost, but they're they're not actually owning a piece of your physical share. But when you play like when you're playing live, do you sell? Is there is there some tournaments or buy-ins? Are you going to sell action in general, or do you? Ju- yeah, for bigger stuff live, I'll usually sell pieces because it's just it's hard to have the requisite bankroll to play like, you know, a two K, a three K and actually have it be responsible. So, I mean, you can, you can sell little pieces of that. And then for like five Ks, 10 Ks, I'll sell more. Right. And I see you had a hundred K score. You got fourth in this EBT in 2000. Yeah. What was, was that? Yeah. Uh, 2014. Um, man, I got it in pre ACE queen against ACE 10. I would have had half the chips three handed if I held and the guy had, drilled a 10 on the turn but i got very lucky with 11 left to even make the final table so this this was a nice one it was my first big european score very fun tournament very fun stop that was ept vienna in 2014 when they had uh when stars you know did their last ept in vienna and they rented out the hofberg palace and everything it was it was great i haven't been to vienna that's somewhere that i would like to uh 
Oh, I'd recommend it. It's nice. Nice city. Nice, nice place. Um, someone asked about, yeah, how do you handle downswings? Uh, what is the, what is like some tricks you would say when things aren't going well? Cause you know, it's, it's tough. Like, I don't know your wife, but my wife, you know, she doesn't care if I lose King's day's queen in a big spot. It's like, you know, it's results, right? So it's like a results oriented game. Um, how do you sort of, uh, keep your head up and, and, it, and are you able to really be realistic whether you're playing well or running bad? Right. Cause that matters too. Like, I'm sure you're able to differentiate when you're not playing your best and when you're just not running well. And, and that, that can matter. I mean, obviously I would imagine, it feels better when you're not running well because you know you're right. doing well. But if you feel like you're not playing well and your money's getting in behind and and whatnot, you know that's frustrating. Um, and and you said you've gone through a period where you had to shift and, and sort of realize mm. that. So tell me a bit how you handle when things don't go well. Like let's say you have a really what's a bad Sunday for you now during these uh, high times. Yeah, I could be stuck like five k or something pretty easily. It hasn't happened yet, but certainly could. Wow. Um, no good. So even in a Sunday, so you're actually, your, your risk on a Sunday, you're really not pushing out more than five to six, 10 K in, in, in risk on a Sunday. I think, yeah, I'm not playing a lot of the highest scoops. I don't think they're great value. The ones that are like, you know, 2k buy-ins and like 200 person fields. I don't think I'm winning in those. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll play like the phase ones, the phase 500s, stuff like that. Uh, so like during scoop, my, my over, maybe I could, if I, if I just literally bricked everything, I might be able to be down like six to eight K, but you know, you're gonna get some min caches and stuff. So realistically it's like five, um, so to go back to your original question about how you manage downswings, I think it's kind of pernicious to worry about how you're running. I think it's always best to assume that it's your fault. It's always best to assume that you should be studying more and that you're playing badly in some spots because this game is so monstrously complex that even getting the idea that you're playing fine is like extremely detrimental. You're not playing fine. You're playing horrible. No matter how good you are, you're playing horrible. Like even BBZ is playing horrible compared to like a computer, right? So we all need to like constantly aspire for perfection rather than uh, not perfection but you know getting closer and closer to the ideal rather than ever focusing on how you're running but with that said i do i do look at my ebbb per hundred and uh poker tracker to kind of keep a, a sort of a an idea of how i'm playing versus how i'm running you know so like my goal at the beginning of each session is for my ebbb for the month to go up rather than like for me to win money and i think thinking of it in that way is, is sort of uh helps you focus on the the details and the nitty-gritty because if you get too big picture with poker like it's really like every hand is just so many details. So is detail oriented. There's so many opportunities for a little bit of EV here, a little bit of EV there. And if you, if you focus too much on the big picture, you're going to miss all those little spots. So I think it's really important to always be focused on details and always assume that it's your fault and that you can do something better. Something I like to, to think about, and, and I think that we all are guilty of it. And, and for sure, the more professional, the less the, than, than, than not, but it's so easy to look and see, like, you know, you talk about people talk about hands. Like I lost this hand, ace king to, to jacks or i lost ace king suited ace queen off like those hands just happen right i mean those those hands are going in whether you have that hand or not so it's really important to focus on blind on blind on these spots on the like you said check folding too much or finding ways because like the hands that just play themselves whether you're getting cooler or cooler or vice versa because you know the hand anytime it's like just a uh it, it just doesn't matter like you would have played on the opposite side of the coin those hands don't really matter you know like right. those hands just play themselves out so yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what I think. I think it's silly to like, oh, I've, I've, I had kings and he had aces, or like I had aces and he had kings and he had a king. It's like, well, I mean, who cares? He, he could have just easily had aces and you had kings. It doesn't matter. Like, that's yeah. not where your money's coming from. Your money is coming from, like you were saying, like the the blind versus blind, the button versus blind, those, those types of spots. So yeah, it's, it's very important to like keep your focus where it matters. The other thing is people always remember the hand that knocked them out of the tournament. that They don't remember the six flips they wanted to get, get there or whatever. So, you know, as humans, we always focus on 
things that are beneficial to our self-image. So it's, it's tempting to just be like, oh, I lost this huge flip. Otherwise, I'd be rich. Well, it's like, yeah, I mean, sure, if you won that particular flip, maybe you'd be rich. But then so there's all these other opportunities you're missing. Yeah. Um yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's true. I think that's a great point. You know, I've, I've, and I've been guilty too. There's times where I'll be whining, you know, whining a bit, or I'm just oh, like yeah. thinking, man, I'm so unlucky, but really you start thinking about life and variance and everything, right? Like it's like poker is yeah. like a, a very small, uh, piece on the radar of everything. Right. And it's like, and we're also lucky we even get to play and, and play oh, and compete and all that stuff uh, as a living. So yeah, I think that's, that's a good, I like how you're, how you're looking at it. Uh, someone's asking about your routine online on a poker game day. So you've, you've kind of gone over this, but you would, you would say when you do, when you do get going, do you have any tricks in terms of ordering tables? Like if you're playing 20 tables, do you have them by the buy-ins, by the state? Do you do color coordinated stuff? How do you, how do you sort of uh, organize your, your setup? So I got three monitors. I usually try to have like one monitor per site, which isn't always feasible because then sometimes I'm playing four sites. So I'll have like a party monitor, a stars monitor, and then an 888 monitor or whatever. And I'll kind of, the extra tables I'll kind of put around the sides. Uh, when I get deeper and stuff, I expand the table size, if at least if I'm not streaming. So like that way I know that the bigger tables are the ones I have to pay more attention to. Right. Uh, past that, I don't have a huge, any like huge tricks. Um, I was using Table Tamer for a little bit, but it started like, it's hard to do across so many sites because you know if the settings for one of the sites is off, it, it can just mess everything up. So I, I just went back to clicking. But I play everything in big blinds. That helps a lot. That help, that's been helping me a ton actually, since a lot of the sites made that change. Because it's, it's so much easier to just focus on like the the theory when everything's in big blinds. Instead of being like, holy shit, I have like 1.5 million in this tournament. The starting stack's 10k. Oh my god, that's so much. You're just like, all right, I have 30 bigs. This guy did this. I do this. You know, it's way it's way easier to to make like rational decisions. I think. Yeah. The um. It's it's funny because on stream people like the, the it's fun to have like you know I have 180 million chips like and have right. it like that but really you know it's easier to to manage I, what I try to do is keep it in big blinds and anytime I'm all in or there's something I like switch it for uh, right that that helps yeah and then or if it's a knockout tournament you got to look at the number of chips sometimes to make the right decision because you got you got to know how big their stack is relative to the starting stack and all that yeah uh, someone asking about the recent. Change, score does it change your life at all i mean how does that feel to get a nice influx of 170k feels i mean honestly it shouldn't change anything but like it's it feels great i feel much more like energized than i have in years i feel way more motivated to study i feel more able to just like fire all these like big tournaments during scoop without worrying about it you know because a lot of time during scoop i'll go in with this mentality like man if i just fire away i'm gonna i could get like crushed because it's happened to me before i've lost like 80k in a scoop before and it's it's freaking ugly when that happens right so like a lot of the last few series i've been going with this mentality like all right i'm just gonna play the mid stakes best value stuff i'm gonna like take my shots be smart about it but now now that i have the score i can just go nuts and like i'm doing it in still a smart way i'm still like five or six k profit since the score <laughs> despite firing like five six k buy-ins every day so it's really revitalized me i think it's it's been really good yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's uh a lot a lot of the same questions here a lot of interest people really uh, on a little bit because I'm older now, right? Because if you hit a big score like that when you're younger, it's kind of hard because you're always tempted, like, oh, I'll just start playing all the highest buy-ins. But like, I'm old enough to have gone through the ups and downs of it, and and so I'm 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 at the point where I think I can take all this extra bankroll that I've suddenly been handed, and I can like you know focus it in intelligent ways without like taking too much risk. But like, I'll, it, it enables me to like play more optimally because I'm not actually worried about the the results as much. Right. What about uh? aha moment do you have something in your career when you were playing something clicked that you were doing not doing um you know you learned or you you saw another player doing just any kind of moment where you just stands out and go, Man, this, is, this is i gotta be doing this or i gotta not be doing this i think the first thing i, I discovered was like uh rejams 
like but it was like 2008 2009 when you had to do everything manually you go into like equilab and you'd like do it all manually and like write it all up in a word pad or whatever with your equations and shit but i, I remember looking at the numbers and like if this guy's opening the button 50 percent, i can jam like ridiculously freaking wide and he has to start defending with all these hands or it just prints money so I, I like figured all that stuff out pretty early and i was i was uh you know, part part of my big hot streak in 2010 to 11 was sort of implementing concepts like that before other people. Very simple concepts, but stuff that you would just, you know, have to sort of reason through yourself rather than just having it handed to you in like a bunch of ranges like you would nowadays. Absolutely. Um, what is your golden tip for a beginning player? Someone that's coming on right now and they're just they want to dive in, play some multi-table tournaments will be a good tip for them study as much as you can, I guess. It depends on how seriously you want to take it. If you just want to play, then play. I mean, that's, that's, that's how it's, it's fun. You know, that's, that's, that's what you're here for. But if, if you want to take it seriously, I think your, your study to play time, you should have way more time spent studying than playing. And your playing time should be focused on like executing the concepts you learn while studying. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy, but that's like how you get good at poker. And I think a lot of people just want to get in the trenches and start like kind of figuring things out by, by doing, and you can improve that way. You know, it'll help you learn the mechanics, but like, to get into the actual theory of the game is, is very important. If you want to like actually learn it the right way, I think that's, that's great advice. Um, let's see. A lot of congrats about your score, which is, it is cool. It's pretty cool to be playing for. Oh, I feel, it feels amazing. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm on top of the wall this week. Um, let's see here. Oh, someone's asking about apps. Do you play any based, any kind of apps or any kind of private stuff? Like, do you? I haven't messed with that at all. I mean, I play like I'll play on the mobile app of the sites I play on. You know, like naturally, I have a pretty good mobile app. Party has a good mobile app. I'll, like, if I'm one tabling and one of the kids wakes up and I got to go sit with them or whatever, I, I'll I'll switch to the mobile. But I haven't messed with any like private games. And do, do you play any cash games at all in general, or not really? Since online? I played live cash for a bit when I lived like right down the street from the casino, but we moved uh, a few miles down the road to Harlem now, so I, I don't really play any cash at all now. And I see you're answering here that you play around six days a week up from four to five. So you, you yeah, for first or slash quarantine time, I've been grinding hard. Yeah. And favorite poker player, you said maybe Ivy was there at least back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. And right now, uh, hmm. I don't know. I'll think, I'll think about it. Get back to you. Okay. Um, do you tilt at all? Do you ever feel that you your game like like you know? I think that's one of the biggest things that characterize a pro is the tilt factor because fundamentally, I think when everyone starts out on the first hand of their Sunday, uh, they're playing fairly well, and then you know people sort of as you're losing flips or two outers, your internet cuts out or some shit. Oh, yeah. You can kind of you know you get a text from so and so or someone you know whatever right? You get you get you get you get thrown off a bit, but wh- where do you? Sure your tilt factor uh level like do you do you feel like you have one or you manage it completely uh, nobody manages it completely anyone who says they manage it completely is lying but i think i'm pretty good at it and uh I, what i try to do is just like get really mad right away and it's not like a burst of rage and i'm going to dissipate so like I'm, I'm famous for throwing the hat on stream you know you lose a big pot you fling the hat across the room angrily stuff like that um but i, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping the big picture in mind i think part of it is just like studying a lot and treating everything as theory rather than trying to worry about actual results. But I mean, I, I get still get pissed off. I'm human, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's, but I, I think, I think I'm quite good at it now. I think a lot of experience and I'm sort of naturally like a fairly even keeled patient type. So it, that, that helps. Yeah. It's definitely a good skill set to have. I, I see a favorite hand, someone asking, which is always interesting, right? Aces, but that's the obvious one. You say queen nine. Oh, it's, queen nine suit. it's underrated. It's king eight suit is another one that people just don't open enough. You're supposed to open that from like a lot of positions, including early people miss those. So I'm, I'm going with those two. King nine, queen nine suited and king eight suited. 
Yeah, I've learned the king eight suit I've thrown in now too, and that's like a good raise fold, even off like fifteen or fourteen blinds, maybe. Oh, like hand ravages, man. Flat buttons with it. You do all sorts of shit with that hand. It's a good hand. Yeah, that's uh, that's that is a uh, that that's one to think about if you if you're not uh, using it. Oh, yeah. If you guys aren't mashing your suited kings, get on that. Yeah. Uh, what about um, what do you think is population tendency right now what's like what's something that just is going on like people are, are they playing are they opening too many buttons uh it seems like people are really playing aggressive out of the, uh, like certain you know button raises like a lot of uh jamming um you know more more wide like I, i'm no, i'm noticing certain things with with stack sizes like limping as well off 20 or certain from cutoffs or buttons like what are some stuff that you're seeing that's, that's sort of like a population tendency shift right now that maybe wasn't three to six months ago is there anything new? Anything new in the game that's different? It's hard to, I mean, I'm on so many sites. It's hard. It's hard to just like overly general. Like on ACR, you see very different tendencies than you do on the other sites because they have the American market or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I guess some of the differences, like right, it's interesting that there is stylistically different. Oh yeah, very much so. It's I mean, it's a lot of the stuff you used to see back in the day. You see a lot of like small three betting on ACR, which you don't really see on the other sites. Like people three bet too small. Um, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I think people overall will tend to converge more towards theory as time goes on. So, like a lot of the stuff you're saying is just correct, like limping buttons with twenty bigs, and you know, being more aggressive in button versus blind situations. That's just people getting better, I think. But uh, it's it's also kind of hard to say because the Corona boom has sort of changed. There's been a lot more recreationals the last two months, so things have kind of gone out of whack due to that. Mm-hmm. Um, who taught you how to play poker? Is there anyone that you can give credit to, sort of either teaching or getting you in the game? I'm pretty self-taught, but I mean, my, my group of like magic playing friends from like 2002 or whatever, definitely like introduced me to the very basics. And from there, I, you know, we, my, a lot of people in my college dorm played, that was like right when the boom was going on, you know? So it was very popular even among people who weren't like super serious about it. So there's a lot of resources, a lot of books and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess my, my friend in high school, David Hester, and I guess I would give him the most credit because he, he used to crush our home game. Like he, he was, I remember the, the final tallies from our high school home game. He was up like a thousand dollars and everyone else was stuck. And it was like, uh, definitely a good education at a young age. What, what, um, what do you, is there anyone from your game that was, that, that is playing still? Is there anyone from your original home game that's online or plays grind? I think I was the only one who went pro out of that game. And do you keep in touch with some of those guys? Like, are they, they ever message you? And well, one of my best friends, uh, who went to call my college roommate for a long, he was pro like briefly, but he's, he's moving to real estate now after black Friday. Um, so I, I'm still in touch with him, but other than that, like, uh, like just like tangentially through Facebook or whatever. But a lot of those guys went on to get like you know Bay Area, Silicon Valley tech jobs or whatever, mm-hmm. which might be better than what I'm doing. I don't know. It depends on what you want in life, I guess. Depends how you look at it. Yeah. Someone's asking, what's the biggest learning over the course of your poker career? Not necessarily just in poker, like anything that you've learned. Um, yeah, it's not as, not as uh, as I answered. I'm not as smart as I think I am. I mean, I always I always had a very high opinion of my own intelligence going up through school. Cause you know, when you're in a school setting, you don't get a challenge so much. And then you go into something highly competitive like poker with a lot of very intelligent, ambitious people. And you're something like, wow, I'm not that smart. You know, people that happens to a lot of people in the professional world, they sort of rise their intellectual level and they, they surround themselves with people who are at the same level as them. So, you know, going from thinking like, Oh, I'm so much smarter than everyone to like, actually like I need to do things the right way and not be, you know, not, not just be so like arrogant all the time. That, that was a big learning moment for me in my poker career on like the first few years. Right. Um, man, a lot of good questions here. 
Uh, biggest cooler. Is there ever a spot like the biggest live or online, some spot deep in a big one where you got, I guess I'll go with the one I always go with. It's kind of a cooler. It was uh, 19 left in this WSOP tournament. I wound up getting 11th and it was 700 something K for first. Um, I had a seven suited on the small blind button opens. I flat flock comes a seven, seven check, check turn eight. I check raise him. He called the two says a seven, seven, eight on the term with two flush draws. I check raise him. He calls the rivers, a King completing one of the flushes. So I'm like, wow, this is the best board ever. I have a full house and the flush came in and there's a, and like, even if he has ace X, he might call my shove because he thinks he's chopping or whatever. I shoved the river. He has freaking pocket Kings and he rivered a boat on me. And I wound up getting, it didn't bust me. It just crippled me. And I wound up getting 11th in that tournament. And I was like three out of 20 when that, when that hand went down. So that was more of a bad beat than a cooler, but we'll go with that one. Um, so yeah, that's pretty sick. What's the biggest buy-in you ever played in? 25k Euro in Monaco. It was surprisingly soft. My table was half Rex, but I didn't really get much going. I sat in. Nice. Uh, people are asking, how do you manage to play poker and raise your kid? Uh, my wife is full-time mom, which helps quite a bit. She does a lot of the heavy lifting on that. Um, but you know, with my schedule, I get to spend a solid six or seven hours a day with them. And, you know, we, we, uh, we have a nice balance of everything. It's, it wasn't easy to set it up at first, but I think now, now that we've kind of got used to it, got the hang of it a little bit, we have a pretty good balance. What is your longest Twitch stream live? How, how long have you been live in one stream? 10, 11 hours. I never did the 24 hour thing. I'm not, I don't have the stamina for that, but I think, I think maybe 10 or 11 hours. Yeah. I've done that. I only done 24 hour once and it was, it was not like a, Oh, I'm going to do this. It was just, it was a function of, I was in Brazil, the starting time. And, and then I, I chopped the, the Millie, the 500 AC. Oh, I was that one. Yeah, yeah. 7 p.m. I think Eastern was like, or 7 p.m. Brazil time when it actually started. And then it went till whatever. And I'd start at 8 a.m. But that, yeah, I, 25, doing the 24 hour stuff, there's really no, uh, it's just not really a, it's not a great thing to try to do. Like it just, it just, no, I've heard of people dying and stuff like on stream trying to do 36 hours or whatever. So it's, who, who yeah. Did that? Someone did 36. Uh, so that was a couple of years ago. Some that wasn't a poker stream or some other stream. It's thirty six forty eight, and he like died on the stream from some some or another. Yeah, never seen a story about it. I remember hearing that. Um, who is the uh, three best female players today? Vanessa Selbst, uh, maybe Kristen Bicknell. Am I saying her name right? She's yeah. very good. And who else plays at those high stakes? I don't watch the yeah. scene as much as I should, so I, I don't actually know another a third name off the top of my head. I'm trying to think. Um, I know those two are, are quite good. I mean, I, Vanessa doesn't even play that much anymore, right? She's, she yeah, she's basically it. out of it. I mean, Kristen's the one I see in all the high stakes stuff and doing. Yeah, very she well she's, she's there are some very good female players out there, but uh, they're, they're oh, yeah, not I watch high stakes tournaments as much as I should, so they're not popping to mind for me. Um, Maria Ho has been on a good run too. She's, she's oh yeah, she's she's been good for a long time. I used to play with her on full tilt all the time. She had the most absurdly aggressive stats. Yes. Um, so, in asking, is the coronavirus the best time of your career? Second best after uh, early 2011. Um, yeah. So someone's asking about this. Uh, this is a, this is the most fascinating to me. But this this late night schedule. How do you, do you feel that this is the best for you? Like, would you rather be in Montreal or Vancouver? What do you think is the, the GTO? You've made it work. You're adjusted. You have your schedule. What would be an optimal uh, zone? Is this is it right where you are or for the schedule to play online tournament series or, or scheduling? What's the best time zone? Do you think it'd probably be easier to be in North American time, but it's like. I don't know. I've gotten quite used to this. I like being with the kids during the day. I like having the night sort of to myself to just fully focus on work. I feel like if I was working during the day and the kids are running around, even if I was up in the office, it would be at least somewhat distracting. 
So on the one hand, I'm definitely like very used to the schedule and I'm a fan of it. But on the other hand, it's it's not best for like humans to be up at night. You know, you're supposed to be up during the day. So, uh, I mean, ideally, I guess we would be playing from a North American time zone, but I've gotten very used to this and I'm, I'm okay with it. For sure. Any books you've read, which you think would benefit a, a player? Any, any poker books or books to, to help learn? It's been a long time, but I always recommend mathematics of poker to people because it's timeless. It's, it doesn't focus so much on like one game as, as so much just like how to think about the game theory of poker. So I think that book, it's very dry, but I've, I've derived the most from that book by far, like 10 years ago when I first read it. And I think it's probably held up the best over time. Uh, as far as newer books that have been written, I know there are some, but I haven't read any of them, so I can't really recommend them. What, what's this guy saying? You prefer GTO or CTO? That's a, that's a Twitch meme. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I don't know what CTO stands for. I haven't even heard Sven it. Sven theory optimal. I don't know if you're familiar with Sven, but it's a whole no. can of worms. Okay. No, I haven't. I have minor, minor Twitch streamer. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's an inside joke. Okay. Um, let's see, Brian, would you give advice? How would you advise to approach bounty games? Should I play it differently from normal games? Uh, yeah, I gave a few, uh, a few suggestions there, but the, the long and the short of it is, yeah, you have to play differently. And nobody's, from what I understand from BBZ, nobody's really come up with like a perfect way to quantify everything. There's a lot of different factors going on. So it's, it's quite difficult to perfectly quantify, but um, yeah, starting bounty is worth something like 20 to 25% of a starting stack is the heuristic that I learned, but I don't know how accurate that is. And then the other points I made are like, if you're short, you should orient your range more towards value because you're going to get called more often. Uh, so you don't want to necessarily be taking all the light shoves with like five, six suited or whatever, because when you shove five, six suited for 10 bigs on the button, that's predicated on the idea that they're both going to fold you a lot. Right. But in a bounty tournament, that's not the case. You're going to get called a bunch. So you have to, you'd rather shove like, you know, King, King eight off or something. Um, and then the other points I made were like an early big stack compounds in value because you cover people for the whole tournament. So that's sort of, you get this sort of like compounding interest feature when you have an early big stack in those tournaments. And uh, the bounties become relatively worth more once you're in the money because the ICM prize pool gets paid out. So the bounty prize pool becomes relatively more valuable. So those are the, the four adjustments for the bounty builders, I guess. Um, someone asking who's the best mod on your, on your channel. How you have some, mod, how you have some st- steady mods. The guy have- who asked the question is the best mod on my channel. That's it right here. Poker mush. Of course. Yeah. And new- number one, now he sets up my home games and stuff. It's a, that's awesome. Um, thoughts on Pad's poker thread, the sustainability of online tournaments. Basically, we, we kind of brought that up already, but what do you think on that? I hope he's wrong, but I suspect he might be right. Yeah. I don't know. This does remind me a lot of it's actually in 2011 when, the, when all this stuff was going on. Uh, I was playing Bay 101 and I was on break, and Vanessa Selbst was there and she said something like, Oh, full tilt is just like they know they're going to get shut down. So they're just like doing this like orgy of rake with all these like double, triple guarantee weeks. And I was like, ah, that's just like conspiracy bullshit. That's not going to happen. And then a month later, of course she was completely correct. So this, this does remind me a little bit of that. I think it's very different incentives, very different situation. So I hope it doesn't go that way. I hope that the, the negative trends pads is seeing are mostly just affecting like the highest stakes. And they're mostly because of the abundance of options, but you know, we'll see. I hope, I hope he's wrong, but I fear that he's right. Yeah. That's, that's, I'd say that's true. Um, yeah, he's a smart guy. It's also, he's aligned, obviously, part of Team Party and Rob and him are very close. And it's like, you know, he's got a, for him to say, yeah, he, he's a, he's the type of guy who's going to say it, like, it, regardless of whether it benefits him, you know, because he's, he's just like honest like that. And he's got enough stuff going on that he doesn't need to like, you know, say things that aren't true to try and like shill his own stuff. So like when he speaks about something like that, you can, you can take him seriously that he at least thinks he's correct about it. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And, uh, Let's see, it's a long thing going on here. Showing some jelly. Are you right? When uh, 
someone talking about Spotify. We'll take a few more here. Mixed games. A lot of people ask about mixed games. You said you have won a horse event. You played a bit, but you're not you're not really in the the uh, the streets on that, right? The incentive was there. I'd be all over it. I think, but it's just like uh, it's it'd be sort of just more like a fun side project. I think to learn it, and it's it's like I'd rather just reinvest that energy into getting better at No Limit. Absolutely. If I, if I moved to Vegas or something, I would definitely learn them though. Do you play? Do you play any PLL stuff? Do you play any of the tournaments? PLL. I used to dabble a little bit, like ten years ago, but it's been a long time. I never really learned the game very well, so I never. I just kind of figured, like at some point, like it wasn't worth trying to catch up. Top five online players for you right now? Sure, or and all time. And BBZ is definitely like up there. That guy's amazing. Uh, Fedor, now that he's playing again, he's crushing. Is he doing? Uh, well? I got to give Ben CB some credit. The guy's very good. Um, Lena 900, he's definitely up there. Some of those Russian guys, like Hello Tati and Black 88, those guys are really good. There's a lot of really damn good players out there right now, man. And it's, <laughs> I just try to avoid them as much as possible because I think I'm pretty good at what I do, but I, I am definitely a, a huge step below those guys. Yeah. Um, would you, if you didn't live in Am, if you weren't in Amsterdam, where would you go to play? Do you think it's a very good question? I don't actually know. Somewhere else in Europe, Czech Republic, Croatia, if that's even feasible. Like, I, I also want to try Eastern Europe. I love Eastern Europe. I think it's very underrated, undervalued. A lot of Americans don't know because it doesn't have the same like cultural cachet as like, oh, Paris or London. But like, honestly, if I was an American going on a vacation to Europe, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near Paris or London. I'd go to like Prague and Zagreb and places like that. So, uh, yeah, like Malta or somewhere, somewhere in the like, you know, Mediterranean Balkans type area. And what, what do you say for keywords like someone asking how to balance basically family uh how are you family slash you know your wife kids and then playing mtts what's like one way you think that you're able to like give advice to someone who has young children out there and wants to play it's hard man just make sure you guys both get enough sleep and that you like are honest about communicating that you're both taking on enough of the burden and stuff because i think that's one thing we're really good about we're really good about like telling each other how we honestly feel about things. And, you know, like if I'm not taking enough of the kid time or if she's, you know, not letting me sleep enough, we're very open with each other about that. So I think it's important to be on the same page and, you know, just make sure that you're working towards the same goal and everything. It, there's a way to make it all work, but it can be, it can be difficult. So you just got to find the right balance. Absolutely. Um, someone's asking about how do you feel? Or no, that's actually about it. So uh, <laughs> picture is trying to show it to his nose. <laughs> I'm, I'm just watching you like the tweets. And <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of going through. I have to, like most of them. Some of them are a little, I'm a little. Uh, little no, we don't need to answer all the questions, but there are some good ones. There's some good ones for sure. How does stress affect your decision to final tables? I guess like talking about ICM and pay jumps. I asked because I saw how instant you made your decisions at the 1M final table. Yeah. So super nervous. Uh, wait, no, like not the, I guess. What, I feel like I can. Yeah, I can disconnect my poker brain from my. So I was nervous in like my personal brain, but my poker brain is still like sort of working behind the scenes, just running running sims and shit, you know. So it's like, I, I get what he's saying. Like I, I was I was acting very quick, but I think that was just because I knew what I had to do, and I just wanted to like get the result back quicker, you know, because it's, it's stressful being at a final table like that. I don't think it affected my play negatively at all. And if I was playing quickly, it was just because I'm one tabling and I had pretty easy decisions. But um, I think the the stress at that final table, if you watch the VOD, it affected me more in terms of like not wanting to talk as much. I just I just kind of want I just kind of like sat there quietly, just like waiting for something to happen. I was I was very nervous, but it didn't it didn't manifest itself in the poker, I guess. Right. Okay. And uh, let's see. Let's take any other. Do you have any other 
sort of uh, any other people in the poker world you, you really respect or look at? I guess you probably don't have time. Like I, I would imagine you're not really watching Twitch streams. That's uh, not, doesn't factor into the uh, time equation, but do you, is there any content or stuff that you enjoy or keep up with? And in, in, in- I watch a few Twitch streams. Um, my uh, J Dog just started streaming. Uh, Joshua Hose, it's Slayer V1 fan poker on Twitch. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's really entertaining. Very good. Yeah, he's, he's a natural at streaming for sure. And he's a very good player. You know, he's worked really hard at sit and goes and he's very good at MTTs as well. So I'd highly recommend following him if you're not already. Uh, Easter Dams is another one uh, up and coming Belgian series, young, young guys like 23 or something. But he's, you know, he's really made a huge transition over the past year. Started with not very much. He didn't have much of a background playing high stakes or anything. And now he's just playing all the highest stakes on, on Twitch every day. So I always recommend him to everybody. Those, those two are good. And then anything BBZ puts out is just gold. Absolutely. I, I gotta say, I agree with all of that. I've really, it's crazy. We've got over, got a lot of, uh, got, got a lot of questions like we, over a hundred, which is, I feel like it's maybe a record. It's up there. We've, we've covered yes. a lot. Is there some pretty big names on here. So that's good to hear. Yeah. This is, this is a lot of interest in, in what you got going on. Is there any closing statements you want to make? Any things you would say about, you know, upcoming schedule for you, upcoming, um, just just in general is there anything that's uh you want to leave people to to think about to follow to keep up with you what's the best way for them to stay in touch with what you're doing i'm mostly on twitter i'm always on twitter uh twitch you know i'm i'm streaming not as much as i was before because scoop is really intensive as far as number of tables so i'll be back to streaming a little bit more soon but you know you'll catch me with some deep runs and stuff the next week or two but then when june starts i think i'll be back on a more regular schedule but twitter's the best way to keep up with me i'm updating it the most um and yeah, as far as like, I don't, I don't have any products to show or anything, but what's this up with, uh, Seaween? What's his deal? What's is he, uh, oh, he, was just, he was just talking about how, if you, if you run bad, it means that you're, you're due to run good. Okay. He's, he's, uh, and there's a look at the DTO app here. I post a lot of DTO spots on Twitter. I'm, I'm big into that. It's cool, man. I, I do have it. I've got it. And I've talked with um, Dominic about trying to do some more stuff. I, I do see the power of it. It seems very high level, right? It's like you're effectively getting to learn and, and see results. Sometimes it's so high level that it's like nonsense. Right? You just look at the sim as like, what? Like nobody would do any of this. Like, what does this even mean? But, you know, it's, it's good to know what GTO looks like so that you can then like, you know, if both players are supposed to be like that spot I posted, you know, it, it's a spot where there's four, five, to, four to a, five to a straight on the board. It's five, six, seven, eight, nine. And the sim is saying that the the out of position player should bluff and that the in position player should bluff jam over the bluff. And it's just spots like that. It's like, that's not how the spot goes down in, in reality. You know, you don't usually see it being played that aggressively, but you look at it in DTO and you're like, oh, well, this means that we should all be playing this spot much more aggressively. So maybe next time you're in that spot, you'll you'll make an overbet jam or whatever instead of just checking. So it's it's useful for stuff like that, but it can get pretty esoteric at times. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's tricky too, because some of this stuff is so... so- far off what you would think would be right or normal. And then it's like, are you really check raising or doing these spots in this tournament? It feels uncomfortable and, and almost like in a tie variant too. And then if you try some of these, that look similar and it doesn't work or you run into the top right. of some range, it's sort of uh it can be, you know, maybe, maybe the spot's very subtly different. Maybe the board's like Jack 10, five, and you're remembering a spot where the board was Jack nine, five. I mean, it makes a huge freaking difference. It seems like one card shouldn't matter that much, but like, it's, that's why you just got to study, 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 study until you pick up as many patterns as you can. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, we've covered a absolute ton. We're going to, uh, I, I'd say I have a much better idea about your, your career, your trajectory, what's going on. And we're going to, uh, we're going to do a $55 retweet giveaway. Is there any, anything else you want to cover before we do this uh, closing? Out? No, let's, let's see one. 
Let's get the. Uh, I know you got. You're okay. gonna play. Are you gonna play today? Are you gonna stream? Just yeah. I'm, I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna stream. I'm gonna start firing tables as soon as we're done here. I'm gonna go check on the kids first, but then I'm gonna run back up, start firing tables. But hopefully, I get deep enough in something to stream. All right. Well, let's do this again. The fifty-five dollar ticket, guys. You appreciate everyone that engaged. That's a lot. A lot of action on this, and I hope you enjoy it. This will be on uh, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all the different various outlets. Um, it, it's a. Uh, it's it's just a lot going on, bro. This is a crazy time. So I hope we. I didn't even know that was your party name until I saw you in that thing. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. So I don't know how often we're battling, but uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll run into each other at some final table soon. And, and yeah, again, hopefully one of those WPT ones with real names and everything. You are you through the thirty two hundred uh, day one? Or I not? haven't I haven't fired it yet. I got, I got to get in it. It's so big. I'm gonna play uh, this this Sunday. It should be is there a flight today, or is it? They only run flights on Sundays, or what? Sunday, I think it's A, B, C. Like, oh, actually, it's a good question. I think because there is a turbo or something, but I know there's Sunday, and then I think maybe a Monday as well, or, or maybe four total. So yeah, uh, this Sunday should be really good, though. I gotta look um, into that. It's nice. It's nice coming off a huge score. You can just fire away and stuff like that without really worrying about it too much. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's uh, let's do this. Let's roll it. You tell me when someone's gonna get the fifty-five dollar ticket, courtesy of Party Poker and the Paris. So just tell me when, and we're doing it. All right, we'll roll it. Drum roll. Boom. And oh, we got it. We got it. Oh, I thought you said drum roll. Oh, the drum roll. Oh, I right, so that's, that's fine. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll go that. The lucky RNG for HDB poker. I pulled pre-triggered it, and look at that. They got a poker. They they're embodying poker here. So uh, we are going to. Um, we are going to give this person a fifty-five perfect ticket. Congrats uh, on your ticket. Best of luck. Hopefully yeah, that's awesome. We'll, we'll message them and we'll ride off in the sunset. So, Mister Brian Paris, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Great to catch up. Good luck at the tables and congrats on the family and all the recent success as well. And uh, keep it going, man. We'll talk yeah, soon. Thanks again for having me, man. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll run into each other again soon. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. That was Brian Paris. Check him out on the various socials. Twitch, you can follow him. Instagram, Twitter, all the good stuff. YouTube, and we will be back for more podcasts soon. And we'll be streaming this weekend, maybe sooner. So best of luck at the tables. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.